The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Hello, Sequel Questers. This is a Sequel Quest Rewind. Diving back into the archive to October of 2015 and May of 2019, this is the Omnibus Sequel Extravaganza for The Goonies, revisiting episodes 0 and 100 of Sequel Quest. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for launch, so let the adventure begin now. Welcome, welcome one and all to the inaugural episode of Sequel Quest, P.O.D., we are so glad that you could join us, whether you're from a, uh, a galaxy far, far away, some alternate dimension, or an underground subterranean kingdom. We're just glad to have you here listening. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I, who knows what brought you here? Who knows how you found our, our lovable uh, podcast here? But we hope that you enjoy the, the discussion and the journey that we're all about to take. Uh, my name is Adam. Uh, a small section of the internet might know me by my pen name, Hoju Coolander. I kind of run and write in the circles of a retro pop culture of the 80s and 90s, currently a featured writer on RetroDays.org. Very fun site. Go in, join that community. Visit uh, daily. You'll be very, very entertained. So it is my duty and my great pleasure to introduce you to the other members of the Sequel Quest POD crew who will, in fact, be joining us on this journey of many weeks, months, years, possibly centuries. There are a lot of movies out there, after all. Uh, I would like to bring on board uh, to, to introduce you to a gentleman. Uh, if we're going with Star Trek references here, he would be like the Dr. McCoy. He is the bones of our crew many opinions he may in fact be the commander of opinions bringing them to us good bad indifferent he's got something to say this is jeff wow so i'm kind of hung up on the idea that somehow bones mccoy was the commander of opinions on star trek that's really what i'm thinking about here I'm sure, I'm sure you are. Thank you, Jeff. Yes. All right. Now, uh, if, if we're sticking with our Star Trek metaphor, uh, if, if we have a Bones, we also have to have a Scotty. So we do, in fact, have our, our chief engineer, the man who is pulling all the strings behind the scenes, who has made uh, technically everything we're doing here possible. Jeremy, give us a hey, how you doing? Thank you, boss. <laughs> Very nice. Hey, I am Jeremy. I am glad to be here, and I will hopefully be along for the long haul on this ride. Here we go. All right. Well, that that's the crew for now. We are uh, a bare-bones crew of three, but we did want to let you know that uh, as the weeks go on, we will have uh, special guests joining us, uh, guest hosts here and there to bring their opinions and ideas to this experience and that truly is what it is now you may be wondering in your mind what is this all about hopefully you're a movie lover if you've come to listen to us and that's really what we're going to be discussing here is the whole premise of our of our mission is to discover the 
untapped potential of our favorite film franchises. So whether it it was a full series of films or perhaps it was a standalone that really never mined all the possibilities, didn't give us the the details that we wanted, the continuing saga that we were expecting. And we believe that in some alternate reality that did occur. And now we're going to tap into those ideas and bring them to you. So each week we'll be discussing a different film uh, or franchise. And what we're going to be doing with that is each of the hosts is going to come in with their own pitch for a sequel or a prequel. And so we'll be discussing our pitches and working together to come up with a cohesive plot. So we're kind of like a live writer's room that you're sitting in on. And with that, we'll take it, once we have that plot in place, we take it beyond, okay? Now we're talking about casting. Then we move into the marketing strategy. What kind of promotional tie-ins are are we going to have? Merchandising. What are we talking about for a soundtrack? So really, it's like having a a little mini movie studio that we're all working together. And we're hoping that you'll be along for the ride as well. You can plug in with us on on social media, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, You can jump onto the website as well. Just leave your comments, leave your ideas, and hopefully it's going to inspire you maybe to create some some fan art or use your talents and bring some of these uh, visions and concepts to life. Now, all that being said, you're probably asking yourself, all right, so are you guys professional writers? Uh, are you published novelists? Why would we be listening to you? Well, the, the quick answer is we're none of those things. Uh, however, we are a, a group of movie lovers, uh, movie enthusiasts, uh, cinephiles. I mean, I, I think we're, we're all pretty obsessed and have a, a fairly uh, good knowledge of what's, what's come out of Hollywood and, and you know, international cinema probably here and there uh, throughout the years. And so we just are, are bringing that enthusiasm and that, and that love of, of movies uh, to our to our ideas now that being said as well uh we are uh hoping to to bring you a, a certain sense of professionalism okay so we're, we're going to push that for you we're going to do our best to make it fun to make it you know something real and uh again this is really just a group of friends hanging out having a discussion so you know why i'm here really this was all my idea so i'm kind of I'm kind of the kind of guy that when I come up with an idea, I say, let me just bring my friends along for the ride. So maybe why don't we ask Jeff, why did you decide to jump on board? Yeah, well, one, uh, obviously, Adam and I have been friends. Well, not obviously, but uh, just to let everyone else know, Adam and I have been friends since high school. So we've been friends for a long time. And so, as he said, quite often in his endeavors, he brings his friends along. And this is the multiple time that I've been brought along. Uh, But also, uh, I do share uh, a passion for movies and um, uh, especially with sequels and prequels and reboots that are very, very frequent in Hollywood today. I I, I I have very strong feelings about that because a lot of times I I feel like they're made poorly 
uh, or for the wrong reasons, and fans end up very disappointed. So uh, to have an opportunity to just extend that discussion and to talk about what should be done, and I mean, is it going to make an impact? Is anyone actually going to listen and make a change? Who knows? But at the very least, we can start that dialogue and get that, that ball rolling. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Now, Jeremy, what has uh, possessed you to stick it out as long as you have in this this conceptual process of the podcast? I jumped on board just because, you know, you don't always get an opportunity like this to start sharing what you think on movies without having some sort of connection like I used to. And so this is kind of an outlet for me. I mean, I used to go watch movies on media premieres and then talk about them on the radio for hundreds of thousands of people here in Phoenix. And since that opportunity has since disappeared, I've been looking for something like this. So, you know, why not talk to the five or 10 people that listen to this and share my thoughts? Yeah. And hey, if those five or 10 people tell five or 10 people that that's 10 or 20 people, and I'll, and I'll be happy with that. If we get at least 20 I'm not listeners. I'm sure that you've done this math correctly. <laughs> yeah, no, math wasn't a strong suit. <laughs> it's definitely not. That's that's really where we're, I'm, I'm a right brained person. That's what we're bringing yeah. to this. That's and, uh, and by the way, just just so you say we, we go back to the concept. Are we professional writers? Are we are we anything? Is anything going to come of this? You know, you never know. Like Jeremy said, there, there's the possibilities out there. I believe that we are at a time and place here in this 21st century where the people, the consumers, the movie fans, the people in the audience actually do have the ability now to kind of push Hollywood in the direction they need to go. I, I believe that through this small effort, you have the ability as a listener uh, to take control of what you want to see. Again, who knows who will listen to this? Who knows who will pick up an idea here and there? Uh, and maybe the next Transformers won't be as terrible. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's endless possibilities of what we're going to come up with. And the future is bright in terms of uh, putting your stamp on things. So, so we again, we thank you for being a part of this. And uh, I think it's about time that we jumped on into the show. Uh, we are covering this week... A film from 1985, The Goonies, directed by Richard Donner, uh, starring a cast, a very memorable group of child actors, some who have gone on to bigger and better things, some who... Like Jonathan Kwan. <laughs> oh, so, so we're going to jump on him right away. <laughs> Jonathan Kwan. Everyone, he was, he was the best one, but... Yeah, yeah well, and then, and then you have Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Hey. Yeah, dude, he's the king of things. Yeah. Corey Feldman had his run, and now Josh Brolin is the most powerful person in Marvel. So, you know. Thanos. Yeah, I mean. You never know. They've done some, they've done some amazing things. So, uh, now with that, uh, what we're going to be doing here is we're going to take a look at what it was. Now, I, I think the sequel to Goonies may be like one of the most hotly anticipated 
films of the 80s that people have been waiting for where it's literally been 30 years of talk oh there's gonna be a yeah it's been more of a teaser than anything for all this time until now it's gaining some steam again so they say last year richard donner started announcing oh we're working on a concept we're putting it all together Corey feldman and sean astin are out there doing interviews oh yeah it's gonna happen it's gonna happen we're ready to do it you know yeah. is what the, all the actors have said but until I see a teaser trailer, until I see a synopsis on IMDb, <laughs> I really, I just don't know that I can accept that there's actually going to be a sequel. So it falls on to us to yeah. conceive it. Um, but before we get into that, for the few of you out there who either were not born when the Goonies came out or you have not caught up with it, <laughs> let us just give you a quick synopsis of what the film is about. It was yeah. basically Super 8. That if you've seen Super 8, it's basically the same movie. Except oh, better. Yeah, except except <laughs> lovable, and uh, you know you, you actually wanted to sit through it for an hour and 30 minutes. So uh, A live-action sloth was much better than a uh, CGI one would have been. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, CGI anything. Yeah, the, the, basic, the basic premise of the film is that a, a family of mobsters, the Fratellis, breaks out of prison. All right, they hide out in an abandoned restaurant. Meanwhile, there's a group of outcast kids uh, who call themselves the Goonies who are now fighting for their property. It's never 100% clear exactly what is happening there, but their <laughs> land seems to have been purchased by some land developers, and they are in mass being no, moved No, no, hold on, properties. hold on. I, I, I did rewatch this last night. And it's the country club owners that are buying up their housing property, more than likely going to put like the edge of a golf course down there. Course. Yeah, they, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. That that was the that was the vibe I got from it. But we never know like what is the fate of their homes. I feel like it's just like we're they're selling our homes. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, but, but that's enough of a catalyst where you feel bad for the kids and you know they have a just cause, mostly because we hate rich people. Yeah, right. So and so uh, anyway, what happens is the the kids decide to go off for one last adventure. They uh, find a treasure map that leads them to uh, the pirate ship of One-Eyed Willie. So One-Eyed Willie's gold is there, and they believe that if they get the, quote, rich stuff, that they can save their their homes. Uh, but it just so happens that the entrance to that uh, cave of wonders is, uh, is where the Fratellis are currently making their hideout. So now the kids are in there. Uh, and uh, they're being chased by the Fratellis, who are all now uh, aware of the pursuit of gold. They catch up with a, a monster that is chained up in the basement, the Fratellis' uh, deformed child. Brother, yes. And brother, yeah, Sloth. And ultimately, it leads to a big showdown on the pirate ship, uh, and... There is a, a grand uh, exodus uh, from the cave as explosions and booby traps and everything else that they've survived. No, those are yeah. booty traps. Yeah, booty traps. Booty traps. Booty traps. And, uh, and so at the end of the film, the, everybody's on the beach. The Fratellis are apprehended. The kids are able to thwart the final signing of the contracts for the land ownership because a bag of marbles was filled with jewels. that was just enough, apparently. And was forgotten about. Yeah. I mean. 
and nice. uh, and that was that. So that they, uh, why, why is it exactly that the everything for those that have seen the movie? Why is everything p- pivoting on the dad signing this contract? Why why if he doesn't want to move, why doesn't he just not sign it? Yeah, or, or on or on, and he's signing it apparently on behalf of everybody else's homes. <laughs> exactly. So, so he's like the owner, the the lead man of the HOA. Yeah, it's like Mikey's the leader of the Goonies. His dad is the leader of the adults. Apparently, Mr. Walsh. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the treasure map is like his dad's that they find up in the attic. That right. his dad was a curator at a museum, which is weird. Why they have all these valuable items up in his attic for some reason <laughs> for storage. The museum went out of business or something. On, on the edge of the ocean. <laughs> now, now we're you finding know. some logic and plot holes here. <laughs> However, this is a beloved film by many. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Let, let's kind of hear uh, our history, each of us. Let's kind of just talk about where did you become aware of the Goonies? Are you a fan? What's kind of your favorite moment? Uh, Jeff, why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah, well, and I think that's, that's a great point that you bring up because I, I feel like what and and it's almost like it's something that had to be made in the 80s because today people do exactly what we were just doing they nitpick and they look for potholes and they do that to such an incredible degree that it's like it a lot of times studios i think don't even go for a movie that can't that has such things whereas like this movie i think was not it was not a movie that was designed for, yeah, this incredibly detailed and complex plot that everything, you know, would uh, really enthrall the viewer. It was something that was just, it was a, it was a kind of like childhood dream. I mean, for me, I was five years old when this came out, and I probably didn't see it until I was like eight or nine or something like that. And it was basically the movie was every kid's fantasy where it was you get together with all of your friends and you go on this adventure where something's on the line, you're trying to save your family, you're going to be the hero and blah, blah, blah. They do this whole, like, they're going spelunking through the caves and they find all of this, you know, the, even the 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 one scene where they're, they, like, fall down the water slides or whatever it is and these water slides lead them down into the, like, every kid watching that was like, that was so cool, I want to do that and find a, and find a, uh, 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 find a pirate ship down there at the end and everything, um, which is one of the things too that I think Richard Donner was the perfect person to direct this because he's so that's exactly what he wanted to do. He got these child actors and that that one of those like I guess it's not little known fact anymore. It's kind of like the fact that everybody knows I guess is that there were certain elements in the movie that he concealed from the kids because he wanted to get their initial actual reaction. So none of the kids had actually seen the pirate ship until that moment on film because he wanted to get the the kid's reaction of seeing a pirate ship because every kid would love to see a pirate ship. And for me, I think that's what made this movie so great was that exact sense of wonder and that like, again, it's a childhood adventure that every kid would love to go on. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but at the same time, like Spielberg co-wrote this. Like this was a big thing and... I was kind of sidelined that he didn't uh, he didn't actually get behind and direct it. Maybe he's kind of like from the shadows directing. Like, I'm sure I'm sure he had a lot of influence as a as a producer and, and a co writer. Yeah, in that, and and yeah. the authentic reactions he got from the kids, as you were saying, Jeff, is great for looking on film. I I 
saw it when I was much younger. Uh, this came out when I was negative um, two. So, uh, so not really. Yeah. I wasn't there at the premiere <laughs> that I know of. But that's for another time. Um, then, uh, yeah, I, growing up, like seeing it, I there were times that you could see that you wanted to be smooth like mouth was. Others, you knew the moments when you were chunk. <laughs> like, that happens. Like, not everybody truffle shuffled you, but you, you still like... <laughs> we all tried. Yeah, we all tried. <laughs> the lucky few actually got to, no. Um, and then we all kind of wanted to have that nonchalance that uh, the brand had. He wasn't even trying and got the girl. Like, that's that's kind of the dream there. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with that. I think that just the personalities in the cast itself really allowed everybody to identify on some level with somebody. Um, now, in my case, I know that I, I must have seen the film uh, probably when I was about you know nine or ten. I'm sure I rented it at some point because I actually had my own group of Goonies in the seventh and eighth grade in junior high uh, is actually where my pen name comes from we were called the coolanders and we actually were we went around you know we were i guess you would call us urban explorers on some level we all hung out at a park we had a tree that was our base of operations and then our big pursuit was always traveling into this tunnel that was like a drainage canal tunnel so we in for all those two years we were always like going farther and farther a little bit farther buying more equipment so we could make it farther in flashlights and torches we would make out of rubber cement you know hopefully so, your flashlights lasted longer yeah hopefully and uh, so it's just one of those things where i know i was inspired by this film but my real first conscious uh memory of it uh, i was actually in uh, 1996 i was taken by a friend uh who who was a couple years older than me uh who, but he was very very in love with the whole concept of the goonies and he uh he took me to a midnight screening so it was my first real exposure to the film and to midnight screenings in general so there was probably like you know a hundred 20 somethings that were just rowdy and loving it. It was this old theater that looked like it had not been renovated since the eighties. So it was like a total time warp. It was just like, wow. this is probably what it was like going to see it in 1985. And plus like they all were like shouting out lines from the film and each other. And this one guy got up, he did the truffle shuffle. And I, yeah. like I said, I, I had like only a vague recollection of the film. So when he did that, I was like, I wonder what that's about that. I saw the film. I was like, Oh, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was just a really kind of magical atmosphere. And I, I just fell in love with the film at that point. And, uh, and, and from then on, I really have just, it, it's just kind of grown my appreciation for the film. It's also the only film that my wife and I both agree on. So oh, the other okay. night I put it in, she's like, what did you just put in Goonies? Oh, okay. Like, like she'll, she'll accept it at any time I could put in the goodies and we could watch it, you know? So it's just, I just think it is really a magical film. And going back to that comment about super eight, it really is. These kids are good hearted, sweet kids, and they do do a little bit of cussing. They're a little bit rough around the edges here and there, kind of mean to each other sometimes, but you can sense the heart. And, and I just feel like that's what makes the movie special. And that's, what's missing from so many 
films these days especially ones for kids where everybody's snarky and has attitude but you just never feel that sweetness and that truth well there's there's not a lot of chemistry happening amongst these kids in a lot of the shows today like there was almost a brotherly bond amongst these goonies because you know what they were all living in the same kind of scenario there in the neighborhood and so they were bonded by what they could do together really and that that really just makes a movie the authentic authenticity of it that's that's beautiful that's beautiful the the other thing too that i think is that especially in this era of the the early to mid 80s is that movies like this about like and i it made me think about when you were talking about how we were What'd you, what'd you call yourselves? Neighborhood explorers, Adam? Ur- urban explorers. Urban explorers. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. There was actually a movie called The Explorers with... Yes. Uh, River uh, Phoenix. and Was it River Phoenix? Yeah. Ethan Hawke. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they went into outer space and everything like that. Same thing. There was uh, Stand By Me. There was Flight of the Navigator. No, what was it called? Yeah, Flight of the Navigator. Flight of the Navigator. There was an entire, like, this idea of kids going on adventures was was bankable at this point and what i think is neat for us now is there's something about the goonies specifically that i feel like like it maybe was the the cream of the crop where it was like i mean all those other movies were great and if you go back and watch them i mean there's some parts that you laugh at that are ridiculous and but it's just like goonies kind of like stands apart as as maybe the best of all of them and i feel like these days, uh, a lot of 20-somethings, maybe later 20-somethings, 30-somethings, it, it have almost that same response, Adam, that your wife does, where uh, when you say Goonies to a 20, 30-year-old, like there's almost a uh, natural, oh, yeah, the Goonies, we love the Goonies, blah, 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 because it is kind of that childhood sort of a, a, a connection, I think. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, and, and honestly, I think that's why there has been such fervor over the idea of a sequel. Some people, if you look at comments, like some people hate it. They do not want a sequel. It's a beautiful standalone film. Don't tarnish it. And other people like, I've been waiting my whole life to see the, <laughs> the next installment of this and you have not provided it at Hollywood. Don't tease us unless you're serious. So I think that's, you know, that's why people love it so much. All, all those reasons, you know, and more. Um, but uh, now, I think we have the, the opportunity really to get into the meat of the show. So each of us has been having our, you know, kind of searching our own thoughts and ideas as to what would be the ideal Goonies sequel. Really, where, where does this go from, from that ending that uh, was, was so triumphant? A pirate ship going off into the, into the early morning uh, ocean. So... But let's. Uh, why don't we just start off? Each of us now we're gonna we're gonna begin the pitching process. So each one of us is gonna have about ten minutes, if we need it, to pitch our our. Or uh, maybe you know, like two. Like yeah, really. whatever it takes. Some <laughs> of us might have been preparing for this for weeks and uh, or years, yeah. decades. <laughs> um, anyway, but why don't we, Mr. Jeremy? Why don't you go ahead and uh, share? All right, with us I your will. Pitch. I will lead off with this pitch. We will definitely be doing a sequel because I don't think there's much to prequel other than like a Rugrat style prequel. Sequel style, we would... Now, I, I wasn't sure what our timeline was, but we're going to hop in the time machine, go back, and we're going to release this in 1990. Okay. So five years have passed, five natural years. 
All these kids are now high school, right about to graduate, and this would kind of be like the one last hurrah kind of film. Like, everybody's graduating, moving on to college, leaving town, graduating from Astoria High School, like, just kind of a little, little more... Eh, we, we all felt it at the end of high school. Like, senior year was the big year. Um, and, and really... Having lived in the Pacific Northwest for most of my life, uh, being raised in Pendleton on the east side of Oregon, I've been to the coast. I've been through the forest and the mountains. The next, like, big adventure twist that, like, everybody knows, like, nobody knew of One-Eyed Willie before this, this story got made up. Like, we'd have to go a little more true to form. We would have to send these kids off, well, these now adults, off into the woods to go find D.B. Cooper's money. You want to give us a really? background? Who is, who is D.B. Cooper? All right, D.B. Cooper. In the 60s, he's the only unsolved airplane hijacking in all of our history in the U.S. I have heard this story. Go like, on. okay, so he's on a plane. The plane lands in Seattle, and he doesn't get off the plane. He slips the pilot's a note, says, I need... No, it was while they were in flight. He slips the stewardess a note that says, I've got a bomb. I'm going to blow the plane unless we land and get me $200,000, I think it was. Well, they land. The FBI gives him the money. They leave, they take back off, flying in a southeastern kind of kind of flight. So from Seattle down almost in line with Salt Lake, kind of. Well, before he hits the border of Washington and Oregon, all the pilots and the flight crew are all up front. He's in the back, and all of a sudden somebody comes back to check on him, and he's gone. He'd let down the stairs... There was a rear-loading aircraft. Wow. Let down the stairs, took his parachute, and jumped out with the cash. And they were in a massive storm. So there were rumors that possibly he never survived, that yeah, he, he just got lost, the money got lost. So there's $200,000 unaccounted for off in the woods somewhere. So nobody ever found him. Nobody ever found the money. Nothing. Nobody now, found is this, him. Is this like super well known from your childhood? Like, does everybody talk about it in that I, part of the country? or Sort of. Like, it, it. it's brought up. Like, there's from time to time, somebody will say, oh, they think they've found the real D.B. Cooper. Like, apparently it was two, three, four years ago. They have reliable sources that they think they've closed the case now. So now, where where do the Goonies enter that picture? Where did okay, they decide to Okay, so the Goonies, they're looking for the one last hurrah. They don't have all of their houses going to be sold, and they're going to lose it. So they want to do something together, and it's kind of like the bros camping trip. But I mean, to do this in the '90s, that would have been the the right time to do it. I mean. To do it nowadays, you couldn't really use this as a sequel because there there was without a paddle. That kind of movie, just the guys going out on their last hurrah trip. And that one uh, just not, not wild so hogs. Like, why would you need Allen? to do another one? Well, go, yeah. Go, this... Sorry, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, go ahead. What was your comment? Were you, you were a big fan of up, uh, without a paddle. I apologize. I didn't <laughs> no, no, I wasn't a big fan, but it it had its laughs. It had its oh. moments, but at the same time, I think with a different cast. 
and a different feel like those guys were just going out for raunchy humor this this kind would have been more of true to form goonies style is is there a big set piece you have in mind like do the, that they do find it or is there a big moment where you're like this is this is like kind of the the moment of the trailer that's going to draw people in aside from the fact that it's a goonies sequel well i i didn't have them actually finding it oh okay Leave, leaving the mystery out there, and instead, there's a twist. They find Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, awesome! Okay, I like that. That is that sounds fun. Okay, so that's most of the story, and that would be the big twist at the end. They think they've found the money, and mm-hmm. instead, they find something bigger. <laughs> wow. Okay. Very nice. I like that. I like that. Okay. Now, uh, Jeff, what do you have for us? Well. Initially, I would probably be in that that camp that would be anti-sequel because I feel like, kind of like you guys alluded to earlier, that um, to make a sequel... Uh, you know, the, the, the story ended, and it ended perfectly, and it's just to, to make a sequel in almost any way would alter what, what The Goonies actually was. Like... It's interesting, like thinking about Jeremy's idea where it's kind of like doing a coming of age sort of a thing. It's almost like you could do three Goonies movies. You could do them as uh, teenagers. You could do them as 20-somethings. You could could do something like that where it's like a Goonies in in each age, which then changes the franchise, I guess. It's not that story about the childhood you know that sort of the hurrah with the friends sort of a thing instead it's just about the bond between these people so for me again from what i feel like was the largest thing to come out of the goonies for me what i think the heart and soul of it was that childhood adventure so for me if they're going to make a sequel that's what you would need to do however Again, their story has ended. So to do like, oh, we're going to do a sequel where what happens after they find the treasure? It's like, no, no, it's it would be anticlimactic. So for me, the only way that I could see doing a sequel, and it would be real dicey, and it would probably not be, you would, yeah, you would have to do it really, really well, is you would do the old classic, The Children of the Goonies. And so it's like Goonies the Next Generation. And it'd be really tough because so often when those are done, it's just a horrible rehash of the same old, same old. But instead, what it would have to be, it was it would have to, it would it would almost be like, well, again, exactly that. Goonies for a new generation because it, this one then would be targeted at the twenty somethings and the 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 teens of this generation right now that didn't experience the Goonies or that when they watch the Goonies from 85, it's, it's very retro. So instead it's kind of like, okay, let's send them out on an adventure that, um, you know, the, the, the kids these days could actually get behind. Um, the difficult thing is, and that would be what would be so strange about this as a as a as a sequel or as a movie, is this idea that so often today a lot of these kids and a lot of the kids, even you know the teens and twenty somethings, they're not really physically active. The idea of going off an adventure with their ki- their friends, they don't do that anymore. They play Xbox with their friends. So it's kind of this idea of like doing an adventure. It would almost be like. Um, 
Are you saying Call of not, Duty starring the Goonies? Is that what it is? No, no, no. no. They are, they're all just sitting uh, in their living room. And oh, it's, no. It's oh, no. On. Right. It's tempting, but for me, I feel like that. And again, this is why I feel like it would be very tricky. It would be about, it would still be an adventure, but that is kind of, it, instead of it being, we're going to lose our houses and we're like, the thing that nobody's talking about is that, well, I guess they talk about it a little bit, but they don't really talk about the fact that we may never see each other again. And that's kind of hanging over. That's the reason for this adventure. Like you guys kind of mentioned, it's this last hurrah. And they don't really talk about it, but that's kind of the reality of it. Yeah. So instead of it being that as the conflict, the conflict is, or the the thing hanging over it is the fact that like, we're thrust into the situation where we're actually physically doing something. And I, again, I, I wouldn't want it to go into like a red dawn sort of a thing where it's like, okay, now we're being thrust into a real military situation. that we've only played video games <laughs> the, North yeah, Cor- the North Koreans are invading uh, Astoria. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Just you wouldn't like want to go down reader. that road because again, that's a whole different type of a genre. Uh, but I feel like that would be the only way again of capturing that same, um, that same heart of that adventurous childhood, like childhood dream. Mm -hmm. And some of the elements might be a little bit different, but the interesting thing, and I think that's one of the reasons that Goonies has always transcended, like continues to be such a cult, has such a cult following is that those things to a certain extent are universal. Is that you come to a, you know, a 12 year old kid today and you show him an awesome rock water slide that goes through all of these things, they're still going to think that's awesome. They thought it was awesome 20 years ago. They're still going to think it's awesome today. So there's certain things, but then there's other things that would have to kind of morph and change. Um, For me, I don't know. I I would kind of disagree about finding, I do agree that there would have to be the, 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 the light at the end of the tunnel, but I think it would have to be something like like you were saying with the uh, DB Cooper's uh, uh, lost money. For me, that's a little bit too much reality for the Goonies. I feel like the Goonies stay in the one-eyed willy, blah 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 blah. Maybe not pirates this time, although pirates are certainly like a big seller these days. True, that that'd uh, be a great crossover. Yeah, just, actually, just bring in Disney and exactly. bring in Captain Jack Sparrow and. <laughs> right. And tie in that, that franchise. That would it's be a true. lot of fun. So, all right. So, so Jeff, really, what it sounds like on your end is your your focus is really kind of the feeling and the the premise and the attitude behind how the sequel should be handled, not so much the plot points. And this is the catalyst that leads to it. It's this is really the heart that we should have behind behind the the idea so that's great i I like that now uh, i i took a little bit of a different tact from from each of you a a little little different you got five pages there we we, we got we got five pages of uh my my synopsis for the film which i will i will run through now my my concept for a sequel i'm a sucker for continuity and uh like jeremy was saying with his where you talk about five years later five years later those kids they really are adults and when you're making a film like even in the music video goonies are good enough the kids look a little bit older than they did when they filmed the movie so you really have to move on that so in my in my idea of the sequel it's taking place in 1987 so they really they just rushed it into production and they said look we got we got to get another sequel out or of did this. they film it at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah they did they, well, hey sean astin has had that experience now right with lord of the rings but um uh, so the idea here is uh, is that 
there, and I'm again, I'm going to take you beat by beat here because I, I'm so excited about this. So there's an opening credits montage instead of like we had in the first film where it's the Fratellis driving around and you're introduced to the Goonies that way. We already know who they are. So what you see, it's an opening, an opening montage that shows a man digging through the contents of an old trunk and it's marked property of Norman Copperpot and a recipient address to Victor Copperpot. And so the montage is flashing between the trunk's contents and then lines of a handwritten letter. And like there are phrases that kind of fade in and out like cursed pirate treasure, several expeditions, my father's fortune, the pursuit which cost him his life. You know, So, so you're seeing all that and but you just don't know what it is. It's just mysterious things, items that are being pulled out of the trunk. They're like hand-drawn maps and sketches of this weird key. There are a few of the doubloons like they found with One-Eyed Willie's treasure. They have the Astoria newspaper that, that it was in the first film that talked about Chester Copperpot's disappearance. And then there's a recent uh, newspaper headline that says, Local youths save town with pirate booty. Who are the Goonies? And then there's also a brochure from the Astoria Tourism Board that shows a pirate that they now do pirate ship rides and tours. And there's an old timey photo of Chester Copperpot with a younger man, and it's, it's kind of written on the it says Chester and Norman, and they're posing in front of a chest of gold and jewels with a handwritten title that says, Our First Hall. And then the final shot is a close-up of a pendant that's hanging from the younger man, Norman's neck. And then it kind of pops into, we're back in Astoria, right? So now it's two years after the original film. The Goonies are a little bit older. They're freshmen in high school. And, and so what you see is, you know, they, they saved the town, you know, with their bag of jewels. They saved their, their community. So they were kind of local heroes. So now at the old restaurant where the Fratellis were hiding out, it's been renovated. It's now called Willie's Treasure Chest. It's kind of like a diner themed restaurant. And uh, they have like, they have a Goonie burger. They have Rocky Road ice cream, but it's called Chunks Chocolate Delight, you know? And that, so, so the town is really booming now because they're a tourist community. All right. And so One-Eyed Willie's, you know, pirate ship, obviously it was floating off in the distance before somebody went out and got that ship. That, that ship <laughs> no, no, not, that ship disappeared. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Yeah, man. But, so anyway, so, so now the other thing of this, if you recall at the end of the film, Chunk tells Sloth, you're going to come live with us now. Yeah. So Sloth lives with Chunk's family, but they paid for plastic surgery. So now he looks like <laughs> Joe Piscopo. Um, originally, I wanted him to look what? like Patrick Swayze. I wanted him to be like total opposite, like super beautiful <laughs> Sloth now. But I realized that Patrick Swayze is not a big guy. And you, you need like Sloth was so huge. You need a guy who's like buff and, and big. And Joe Piscopo, when he was on Saturday Night Live, I always thought that guy is way too big and burly to be a comedian. He was always so jacked. Yeah. So Joe Piscopo was also goofy. So I felt like he could play because Slot's intellect is still the same. But but now he calls himself Steve, and he's a he's a simple-minded <laughs> construction worker. And all the girls in the town are always like, "Ooh, Steve!" Like they're they're so into Slot that he's just this lovable little goofy shy guy. But he has a romance with a waitress at Willie's uh, oh, at, at Willie's, Willie's treasure chest, and her name is Susie, and she's just really sweet, and she always is singing this tune to her. Herself and Susie Q. Susie Q. Yeah, you know <laughs> why not? And uh, so basically, they have kind of that relationship. And the B story of the film is that uh, Sloth and Chunk, you know, they're like brothers, they're best friends. But now there's a girl in between them, so it's about Chunk coming to terms with sharing his best friend with a love interest, you know, that enters the picture, and um, and that also uh, kind of carries 
throughout uh, the film for the rest of the guys. Now, Brand and Andy, they've graduated and they went off to college, but Steph stayed behind and she's also a waitress at the diner. So they always come in and of course, Mouth is making these ridiculous food orders just to hassle her, you know? So that like the diners, they're hangout now, obviously, because they're kind of the celebrities there. Um, And anyway, so they're, uh, uh, Mikey is always calling Brand, you know, throughout the film, looking to get advice because this is kind of, everybody's having a romance. Mikey's chasing this this pretty girl at school. He's trying to figure out how to get her attention. Data is being pursued by this burly uh, girls field hockey player. <laughs> kind of a log duck dong type thing. Oh, sexy girlfriend. You know, he's got, he's got that girl that was after him, you know. And then Mouth is in love with his art teacher. Who's like, you know, of this course, girl, yeah, of yeah. course. So, so he's hitting on her all the time. He's the smooth talker. Now, one day they're at, they're at the diner and all of a sudden, you know, they're hassling Steph and somebody's asking for it. You know, she's asking for her tip. This mysterious hand throws down one of the one-eyed Willie doubloons. They look up and it's this guy and he introduces himself as Victor Copperpot. And uh-huh. he says that he, Chester Copperpot was his grandfather and he's found all, you know, this, this story that they were went after his treasure and found it and it really belongs to him. And he's trying to, uh, he's really trying to, you know, renew the family name you know people thought chester was crazy and all and all that stuff so he's giving him this sob story but they say look we are the money's already here we used it for the good of the town and besides that you know that was willie's treasure it wasn't your grandfather's and so then he gets all like upset and indignant and he's he's you know yelling at him and he's telling him you know you're just selfish da, da, da. and then he looks over and Susie recognizes him and he starts going over to Susie and he sees the key that Norman had around his neck in that opening montage picture and realizes he needs that key to get the treasure. So he's trying to get it from her. The key falls down and in the scuffle, Mouth has a, his sculpture for his art teacher in a, in a backpack. It falls out and, and, and you know, uh, Victor, Victor Copperpot, he steps on it. But then the key falls out of his hands into the, the Play-Doh or the clay, whatever it's going to be, you know, and it makes an impression. But then just as they're having this whole big to do sloth slash Steve comes in, you know, to defend his girl, saves the day, throws Victor out. He's cursing everybody. Ah, you're not the only ones who knows where that treasure is. Da, 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 da. So he's and the so, pseudo bouncer at, at Willie's. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so he's there. So from that point, Susie lets him know, look, he's a dangerous guy. That's my uncle. He moved away to England. You know, he had kind of a strange relationship with my grandfather, who was his father. He became a mercenary. He's just he's a bad guy. You really don't want to get on his bad side. They're like, look, there's nothing he can do. Nobody knows where that treasure is in the entrance to the cave, but he's we a do. treasure seeker. Yeah. yeah. And so they, and then they indicate where it is because they're in the same restaurant, right? Yeah. So it's actually, it's under a jukebox now that, that, that you can actually, I, I was debating jukebox or, or a donkey Kong machine or something. Yeah. You know? It is the eighties after all. But, um, but anyway, so they, they do know where it is. Now, what happens is that, uh, um, this is where we kind of we go back to school with the kids they kind of forget about Victor and we and we see all the different you know uh, data is coming up with these different inventions to try to get away from the girl every time you know like things to throw his voice a remote control this and that to, to block his his pursuer uh, Mikey's trying and failing to get the attention of, of the girl he likes mouth hits on the art teacher asks for a private lesson after school is making these lewd comments and then she throws some back at him and then you realize he's really a chicken 
that he's afraid of winning. Yeah, you know? exactly. That, that classic deal. And um, so uh, ultimately what happens is Victor goes to the Fratellis in prison. We find out that Ma and Jake Fratelli were transferred to another prison, but Francis is still there because you got to have Joe Pantoliano. He is yeah. fantastic. you got to keep him in the film. So he's telling him his whole story. He's like, hey, can you, will you help me out? You know, I'll give you part of the treasure and all that. And Francis is totally, totally game for it. Um, and uh, now the, you know, they're basically planning, okay, I'm going to break you out of prison at this time and, and then we'll go. We have to get the key from this girl. We have to uh, do, you know, get down in, find out where the, the treasure actually is. Um, so, but Francis, he knows, right? Because that was their hideout. He's like, yeah, yeah. It's, on the, it's on the far east wall down at this point. He's like, oh, you know, so Victor knows, oh, it's under the jukebox. So now all we need is the key. So they go. There's kind of like this little cat burglar type of thing where Francis, you know, sneaks in, almost gets caught, whatever. He steals the key off her dresser and uh, and he takes it back. They go they go under the jukebox. They get to the door and they realize on the door, like you, you don't just need the key. There's this limerick that's written and it basically you have to know a melody that has to be sung along while you're turning the key. Okay. And so that's when Victor realizes, because when he was kind of hanging out before the scuffle, he heard Susie humming that tune to herself and everybody always hears her to- humming it. It's kind of her thing. And she says it's something her grandfather taught her. Mm. So he's like, ah, so now I have to go back and kidnap her. So <laughs> so he, he gets, you know, he gets Francis in on that again. They go back and they kidnap her. Um, but just as they're leaving, Victor tells Francis, I betrayed you. I called the cops and, and told him that there's an escaped convict loose at this address oh. so that he's a diversion while he kidnaps her and get, goes off yeah. to the restaurant. So now Francis is like, you know, freaking out and he goes on the run. You know, Victor and Susie go off to the restaurant. And while uh, while Francis is running, he runs into Sloth, who was on his way to uh, to to meet Susie. Uh, and so basically he doesn't recognize sloth obviously right but then yeah. sloth recognizes him and after a couple, little exchange he's like oh you're my brother okay and then uh he says you, you know you got to help me uh but then he realizes that francis stole a, a watch from her that he recognizes as Susie's. And he's like oh you've been bad you know so he like so he takes him off and the goonies are on a camping trip i know there's so many elements to this but the goonies are on a camping <laughs> trip that night talking about the, all their love and romance woes and everything right there and they're coming up with their crazy you know high school boy theories about what women want you know that's yeah. kind of the comedy in there and so anyway sloth brings francis over there he ties him up they hang him from a tree and he's like he stole Susie." Da, da, da. and so they're kind of they're they cover him in honey and they say they're gonna leave him for the bears unless he tells them where where uh, victor is taking Susie. so they they you know he tells them and they just leave him there and they take off and then while they're riding their bikes they come upon steph who's driving a crab truck for a delivery to the restaurant anyway so they all ha- hop in the back with the crab and they get up there meanwhile victor gets Susie down there he's trying to make her sing you know but she's all nervous she can't quite you know get the tune out um and then just as she finally does and they enter this vault you know the goonies come in and they see and they and they're chasing her down and uh and basically uh victor shuts the door before they can get in now the goonies are there and they're like uh you know they they realize well we can't get in we don't have a key and we don't we don't know the song and then uh they're all defeated and, you know mouth drops his backpack again and out rolls the the clay sculpture from the beginning where the imprint of the key is so now 
uh, Data has his, he calls it his his metal juice, and it's his new invention, yeah. so he just drops that in, and it instantly, you know, creates a key. You know, again, the, all of Data's inventions are crazy. Yes. Yeah, plot device. So they have the key, but now, again, it's the song, and they're like, oh, you know, and again, they make the same deduction. Oh, it's that song she's always singing. So the boys are trying to sing it, and either they don't have it right, or they can't carry a tune. They can't hit a high enough pitch anymore. Right. So then they go to Steph, and now Steph, you know, they try to make her sing it. She's like, you guys are idiots. You don't know how the song goes. It goes like this. And then she sings it. They get in. And just as they're opening it, um, they re- and actually during this time, it's cutting back and forth. Victor's in there. The treasure's there in a big chest. He ties up Susie because he doesn't need her anymore. And then he, uh, he blows a hole in the wall with dynamite. And what does he find? He sees, you see that One-Eyed Willie's treasure or his pirate ship is just below the cavern. So basically, <laughs> he shoots at it again. In these movies, there's ridiculous things, but he shoots out a zip line down to the <laughs> to the pirate ship, and he's got this harness that he's carrying with him. He sends the treasure down. Then, when he realizes they're coming in, he sends Susie down because now he has to have a hostage because they're on his trail. And then, just as they're entering, he goes down himself. So now he's in the ship, ready to get away. The Goonies like, ah, what do we do, right? And so Steph runs off to go call the police upstairs. Just as she gets there, Francis has shown up. He's all honey drenched and yeah. all you know, gross and everything. And he's like, he says, well, fine, I'm getting the treasure for myself. He doesn't know anything that's happened. So now he's taking her down. He's got a gun, you know, and he's, he's, uh, he's getting him back there. And now, you know, Chunk and, uh, and Sloth and everybody are there. And they're like, what do we do? How do we get down there? And Sloth is like, you know, here's Susie screaming. So he freaks out. He runs to his old room where, the, where his cell was, you know, where he yeah. was being kept. He grabs his old chains and he's using it as a thing to slide down the zip line <laughs> so he runs he jumps and, and chunk tries to stop him you're like no sloth you know so he's grabbing on so sloth and chunk are like sliding down and just as they're almost to the bottom victor cuts the zip line you know so now they're flailing yeah and they end up flying onto the crow's nest so they're they're up at the very top of the thing just like hanging on for dear life uh mouth and mikey and data are there they're like ah, oh, what do we do what do we do and then that's when they see that Victor actually left a bomb with a. Uh, <laughs> there's again, it goes wild here, but he left a bomb with a timer, and there's only a minute left, so they have to do something. And Data's like, "Oh, guys, wind wings!" They're like, "Wind wings!" And he's got a hang glider that pops out of his jacket. He's the same. They're like, "No, there's no way!" No, no, no. They're arguing. And then they're 30 seconds, so they're like, "Okay, you know." So then they all jump out, and Mikey and Mouth are hanging on to Data, and they're flying down on his on his hang glider apparatus. <laughs> And then Francis and Steph show up and they're like, ah, and they see the bomb, right? And so they just run back out the other way. And so as, you know, they're hang gliding down and behind them, you know, from the pirate ship kind of point of view, you see the explosion of the cave and the <laughs> restaurant. And then Steph and Francis are jumping out of the explosion, right? So they're like, ah, you know, and so that's, that's the big set piece moment. You know, that's the explosion. Everything is happening. So now the... Mouth and Data and Mikey, obviously the wings were only meant for one person. So one of the wings breaks off. They're twirling down. They end up in a net, like just they're caught like inside a net on the pirate ship. Yeah. And, um, and so finally everybody's on the boat, right? So now it's about the showdown. And, uh, so, uh, basically from here, they, uh, there, there's a lot of, it has to do with loose boards on the deck of the ship. So the, <laughs> this is where the, the comedy of the action comes in. So basically, um, as they as they get there, uh, Victor, you know, still has Susie all tied up. Sloth jumps down, you know, kind of like he did before. He's going to slide down on the knife type th- with a knife thing. And But when he jumps down, the loose board knocks him in the back of the head, knocks him out. So now now Chunk is like, no. Now you know. you've lost the muscle. Yeah. And Victor is like, ha, 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 ha. You know, and Victor's got his gun. So he's pointing it at Sloth. 
and he's about to get him. And uh, just then Chunk notices, you know, that he's stepping where the loose board was. So now, uh, or sorry, the, the treasure chest has moved to where the loose board was. So, so Chunk sees Victor, you know, pointing the gun and he's like, no, you know, he's like, hey, you know, it's a jerk or whatever he calls out to him. He jumps down on the board and he launches the treasure out of the ship okay and so and, and actually what, what's happening here is uh i, I do have to back up because i did get a little bit ahead <laughs> i know there's so you, much you went to page four rather I know, than page, page three four, jumped to page four oh. I, I know we got to wrap it up here but um <laughs> i'm so excited about this uh we're gonna probably have to edit this down um but, but basically um what the other part of this is that when francis and it was being pitched the idea of the of the heist and everything uh, victor let him know that it's not all for uh, noble cause he actually owes money to these Russian mobsters and so so just out of nowhere and occasionally throughout the film you see these Russians just kind of showing because it was the 80s you know the Russians were the threat you know yeah the Cold War wasn't over yet Rocky hadn't saved us I don't think maybe that year is when Rocky 4 yeah. came out so anyway um, basically from there uh uh, at one point, Data, act, it was actually Data that grabs the gun out of uh, Victor's hand with his, he has his pinchers of, of peril still, you know, so he grabs yeah. those, but it throws the gun out into the other side of the boat. And then Victor is kind of stumbling around and he sees off the, the one side of the boat, there are the Russians in a motorboat right up beside him. He's like, ah, I'll have the money in a second. Hang on, you know. And then as, uh, then as you see, um, he's you know having another tussle with sloth because sloth wakes up so they're you know they're fighting everything and you see uh you basically see him kind of go over to the other side and then there's francis and steph on the other side of the boat on a motorboat and you know so francis is like i'm gonna kill you you know you betrayed me da, da, da. so that's what chunk then sees the you know he sees the the treasure on that loose board so he jumps okay. down his weight launches it off to the side where francis and steph are it lands in their boat but the weight of the chest then launches them up into the boat right <laughs> so it gets ridiculous here so that joe pentagliano and victor they're they're <laughs> battling each other you know francis they're having their fight and everything and um and then uh what happens is finally um uh, sloth is trying because sloth now it's still his francis is still his brother yeah. so victor now has the gun of francis he's about to kill him sloth hits the loose board one more time to stop him but instead it launches victor out of the boat onto the boat where the treasure is so now he's like great i have my getaway everything worked out perfectly for me so he's like so victor's like so long suckers you know starts driving off all the kids run off to the other side and they tell the russians he's getting away so that the russians are chasing after him oh. and they come and bump the back of his boat which you know puts the treasure uh uh the treasure on back on the pirate ship but then victor ends up in their motorboat and so then they drive off into the night you know and he's like no <laughs> you know so he's so he's been captured and and then uh, so from there basically uh, you know it's a it seems like a happy ending everything's good you know sloth has reunited with his brother so it seems but that's when francis then pulls the gun on all the kids and he's like hey this is mine now, you know, like, so now he's going to take the treasure, uh, w with him. And so now, you know, there's that last turn at the end. Um, and he's got this inflatable raft off to the side that he found. He threw it, threw it out there. So now he's going to go. And, uh, but then basically, uh, sloth, uh, 
uh, or as he's as he's trying to get away, Slot's like, "No, brother!" And then he's like, "Forget you!" And he steps on the loose board one more time, which knocks Francis in the back of the head over the side into his. <laughs> so there's just all this stuff flying around with this loose board, and Francis ends up ju- in a boat just as you see like the Coast Guard and the police coming out, and it's the dawn. Now the yeah. dawn is rising, and they've come and they're getting Francis. So now the Goonies are there. They've got their gold. They've got their jewels. They're so excited. They see a, a chunk sees a ring on top of all the jewels, and he gives it to Sloth, and he's like. You know what to do with this. And then Sloth proposes to Susie. And then it fades to a wedding ceremony. And Brand and Annie are back Andy are back for the wedding. And everybody's, you know, in their tuxes. And it's a great, you know, moment. And then, you know, that's that, you know, Chunk is, you know, Sloth's best man best man, you know, yeah. and they've reconciled and and all the all the Goonies, you know, Mouth, Data, and Mikey, they're all there with their girls that were pursuing them or they were pursuing yeah. as their dates, even Mouth, you know, the art teachers. Yeah. There, you know, and it's really awkward and funny. And all that. <laughs> you know, so, so after 20 minutes of my explanation, that is the Goonies too. So that is the Goonies too, in my mind, where you absolutely just have to, you got to pick up on those threads that they left dangling and give oh, us the wow. next installment. Your thoughts. <laughs> oh, Jeff, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, are we? <laughs> I'm sorry. Are we doing feedback on each other's pitches or what? <laughs> well, this uh, is this is where we're at. Really, what it comes down to is now we have to figure out how do we take all three of these ideas and turn them into one movie. I don't think that would happen. They're three different different movies, right? But, three different time periods. Although I do see, and, and that was kind of what one of the many things I was thinking uh, in this last pitch, especially, is um, starting off with that kind of like for each one of us what that key element was to the Goonies, because I feel like um, I know, like Jeremy, you kind of said that it was it was that bond between friends that that was kind of the key the key element. And I know like for me, it was that childhood adventure part. And I get the feeling for you, Adam, it was kind of more of the, not slapstick, but I don't know what you call that style of like adventure. I, I, th- I think it's like a madcap adventure is really what it is. Cause yeah, there's, there's a lot of like goofiness, but then there's real right. danger, but then there's a lot of jokes. And like you say, yeah, slapstick humor throughout. Yeah. Watching Goonies is that, yeah, there's the slapstick, but it's also like, you're not always supposed to laugh necessarily, even at the like you're, you're almost supposed to buy into the ridiculousness of it. Like so, at the end when in the original movie when Chunk comes down with the knife, uh, you know, the sword or whatever it is into the the the, the yeah through the sail exactly and down. You you don't even like if that would have happened in most other movies, you'd be like, come on, what? But at that point, you're like, yes, come on. Y- you've bought into the campiness at that point, right? Yeah, that's campiness. why with that's my exactly with my pitch, I my, that was my thought is you can really take it anywhere because they were so ridiculous in that movie. You can have data make the wildest inventions yes. you can have like a few plot holes here or there and just a lot of you know goofy uh you know convenient plot you know contrivances you know and it's still enjoyable because the heart of it you know it, it, like you say is the friendship and I'll, I'll be honest with you i think there is a way to take all three of these and put them together and it may sound crazy because jeff again your your pitch was okay it would have to be their kids right so, right. so it's a it's a premise of they're they're going to kind of teach their kids about adventure, whatever that catalyst is. Now, I feel like Jeremy's pitch 
could it could essentially be a bookend where there's not you know like either those those concepts there are are kind of general where maybe we don't make a whole movie about that yeah so it's it's like the db cooper thing is kind of the introduction we we meet all the goonies now we see them with their kids and then they so maybe it's more of the plot device for them and their kids kind of getting them out and about and doing something all of them together right and and now i might I might, even before we go down that road, I might throw in though too because, and, and I, I mean, in my job, I work with high school freshmen, and I can tell you that there is not a huge difference between high school freshmen and twelve-year-olds, and so that the awkwardness and the willingness to do ridiculous things and riding around on their bicycles, that's not so far-fetched. So like you're saying, doing it two years later and they're in high school, you could still get away with some of the kiddie things. I was kind of thinking if you couple on to to your pitch, Adam, where it's kind of this idea like they are freshmen in high school. And if ever there is a time for them to be outcasts, it's as freshmen in high school. And you don't necessarily emphasize the high school stuff, but the fact that like the Goonies still need to exist because no one else likes you because you're a freshman in high school. And maybe the rich kids don't like you because you ruined their golf course or whatever it is. And, you know, you know, whatever. And it's just kind of like the Goonies still need to exist. And so then that bond can lead them into further adventure. Okay. So, so this would be the question now also, um, time frame wise. So now are we attached at all? Because this is what it's about. We're paring down the ideas. Are we attached to the idea that we do feel like, because Jeff, even your own pitch, it kind of sounded like they would probably go with the next generation. But do you feel like that's a necessary part of a Goonies sequel? Or could just the pitch of the next adventure concept good enough? Well, I was just, it depends. Like for me, again, for me, if it is that childhood adventure, I feel like that was a part of this movie is that their childhood was essentially ending with this movie. So to do another movie about these same kids' childhood doesn't seem like to be connected. So if you want to do another movie about childhood, it has to be with their children, you know. Okay. 30 years so, later. So, However, again, yeah. if you're going to kick it up a notch, you're going to be like, okay, now instead of childhood, let's talk about adolescence. Oh, now that's a whole different sort of a... Yeah, adolescence, coming of age, kind of transitionary periods in their right. life. And okay. that could be too where, because it's the funny thing, like, it would definitely change the dynamic where, you know, in, in the original Goonies, um, the male-female reaction with all the kids is very awkward. Like, even, the, like, Mikey goes and, like, makes out with his girl, and he's just kind of like, uh, uh because he's pre-adolescent. Now, if he's a 14-year-old kid, ho oh, oh, that's a whole different sort yeah. of a story. Yeah, and I, and I think we're all in agreement on that, because that's really where I was taking it. That, that was my thought, too, is their next step is that adolescence, that love, that drive, you know, the, the hormones kicking in. So that definitely, I think we're all in agreement, that needs to be, like, the core kind of, like, running, you know, uh, storyline throughout is they're all dealing with their own, you know, feelings and trying yeah. to pursue romance. So the question becomes then, it, you know, we, we kind of know the character moments. We kind of know the, you know, the, how we continue to connect with the, the attitudes and, and the, the characters themselves. But what is the, the driving 
you know, plot action. What what do you I mean, would you guys do you guys like the idea of introducing this Victor character who's coming in and he's the one trying to get to the treasure uh, for himself or do you feel like there needs to be something different because like the db cooper thing is good too um like and i and i love the the switcheroo of bigfoot you know just like they go for db cooper they find bigfoot like i think that could again harry and the henderson's crossover right maybe, I, know? that <laughs> came to mind <laughs> which would be oh. awesome but, but you know what i'm saying so so i guess the question is i mean uh if we need to throw out my entire you know plot summary that is fine but but like i i I think there are some elements in there that are maybe just a little bit more fleshed out that could help us get to where we want to go but um what what if it was i mean just the idea of okay you have you have they're entering high school now again there we still have the need for the goonies they realize they need each other more than ever now um and and they're pursuing their girls and whatever's happening there uh did you guys like the idea of data being the one being pursued and uh you know chunk obviously is never going to get a girl that's just not that, that that's not a part of it i because I, I still feel like sloth needs have to you have seen a, chunk today no, now okay I, yeah right, like we're not talking and he's, about, yeah, a, no. he's a high, highly paid <laughs> lawyer yeah exactly for me for me i think i switched those two around I kind of like Data being the. I mean, maybe you could throw in like a a, a a wink at the end of the movie where like some other nerdy girl happens to like look his way. But I kind of like the idea where he is so completely not interested in girls, and Chunk is maybe like, not that he's like maybe he's adorable. Maybe girls like you know girls find him adorable, or maybe he's just like you know. He's the one, like the 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 driving force, who's really really interested in girls, but you know can't get any. I don't I, know. I, I feel just, like I that fits more Chunk, into his character. Chunk was the most childlike of all the kids in the original film, so that's why I just feel like he would not have developed as much as they did. Like the it would be like the rest of the guys are ready for well, that. Well, then again, they are hitting puberty, and it could turn right. on turn on its head, Good. and where he develops the most out of them. Mm-hmm. Plus, I don't. Okay. I'm not sure that I would agree with that either i feel like mikey was the most childlike because it well it depends on your definition of childlike you know mouth mouth had was very childlike but the way that he showed that was was in his like overconfidence really well overconfidence and total lack of of like not scruples but what what's the word i'm looking for um like uh, uh, appropriateness like he just he just didn't have any idea like what you're is a good idea like hey i'm surrounded by murderers should i do this right now he doesn't even think that way Whereas <laughs> chunk, i have the vila scalapini yeah. right chunk is the awkward one and chunk like you know because I, I i feel like if you know any of the characters that were like let's say like the the famous interrogation scene where he starts spilling his, his guts about <laughs> everything, which by the way fun fact is that which maybe you guys knew already the story that Chunk tells about the fake vomit, supposedly that's something that Steven Spielberg actually did as a kid and oh. told the actor to tell that story. That's awesome. So and there you go. Fun, I fun had tip. not heard that. So, so, but I, I see where you're coming from. And, and as a former fat kid that very easily <laughs> could have been called, uh, could have been called Chunk. And here's my fun fact. 
uh, you know, Goonies rip off the Monster Squad, which I believe is just as good as the Goonies. Um, I actually was called Horace. Like, you know, people made fun of me because they thought I looked like the fat kid from the Monster Squad. Ah, but uh, but anyway, but so, like, I, I see what you're saying. Like, maybe it was his, his time now to get a girl and all of that. Um, but my my concern is then, what do you do with sloth? And I, and I wouldn't want, I mean, it, it, is your, it was your point, Jeff, when you said flip it. You're saying that, that, that sloth maybe is jealous of Chunk getting taken away by having a relationship or were you really talking about data to be honest i don't know about your sloth angle it was love interest this is the and, 80s the the era of plastic surgery no, you know and the hunky guy gets like all the action it's the other thing too that that because it was the thing that I've been thinking about too. Is that let's say if we're if we're going along the lines with something like this. So we're talking about like adolescence, and we're talking about um, you know freshman in high school, and that et cetera, et cetera. Um, is that the older that they get, does that mean that the tone of the movie gets older? When I was trying to think about like you said about the fratellis and stuff like that, is that like when I think about the fratellis in that movie, the fratellis were not frightening at all. I mean, they 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 were, but they weren't. And I think they were intentionally because they were so, like, as terrifying as they would be as gangsters, they were total, like, mama's boys that were whipped by their mom. And so we were laughing at them. So it kind of took away from our fear of them, which I think added to this feeling that I don't want you to be terrified of these people trying to kill these children. Like, that's not what this movie's about. But if we're talking about teenagers, like, do we want it to be a little darker, a little scarier? And if we go down that road, are we becoming less and less Goonies-like? Well, I, I just think that you do. There, There is a certain level of maturity, but that's that's where I think you still keep kind of the slapstick angle. I think that still has to exist for them because to me that was just such an essential element of the original film even though it wasn't the heart of the film it was so present in pretty much you know most of the scenes there was something goofy like that going on i felt like especially like the last half of the movie so so i don't think it has to be dark um but i but i do think you know that it is a more mature theme just like you know the the pursuit uh you know and following your libido and everything else you know that comes with with that that high school romance but um are we at a place where we're saying okay that's really the core story we're following up with the kids they're in high school so it's you know it could be two or three years later because they, they were probably 12 or 13 when you know those yeah, those yeah. characters probably two years so later. so we're to the point of where they're 15 potentially turning 16 getting cars girls no, I say pre that pre that because yeah. if you have if you i mean yeah because it's the new discovery it's the new discovery yeah. of a new world of high school and they're right. awkward and they don't That's fit why in I like, still yeah right i like freshmen because you could do i mean like i could see like i don't know would mouth probably be the oldest one where he might be able to have a car and then you uh, license to drive Corey like, feldman yeah that's right because I, I like the idea of them on bikes and the fact of like, and because there was a, some of that already in this old, the, the original movie where, well, I guess it was more about, about his, uh, uh, the, the brother 
that like when he was on the bicycle and then the friends came by in the car and they were making fun of him. Yeah. And you can have some of that too, where it's these freshmen on bicycles when these sophomores and juniors come by and, you know, are laughing at them for being freshmen and everything. So, so, but what we have to realize now is we're, we're circling around the whole concept of the relationships and all of that, which is important, but we still don't have, we haven't decided on an action piece. We haven't decided on kind of the catalyst for whatever their adventure is going to be. So the question is, do we go with the idea of playing with the lore of the Goonies? Of Essentially what you're, what you're wanting to know is this Goonies 2, the return of one-eyed Willie. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, we'll, and we'll get to the pitch of the titles here in a little bit. But yeah, is, is it basically, again, a continuation uh, right. in, in that regard? Or are we saying, again... A totally new adventure, DB Cooper, Bigfoot. Let's just let's just kind of bring a totally new concept in that they're now dealing with in addition to their high school romance stuff. Right. Uh, where where do you guys fall on that? Where do you think you would prefer to go? Well, I think for me, I I like I like your the 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 Chester Cobblepot's grandson and stuff like that. Except for it, I don't know the idea because it was like. Especially in the first movie, Chester Cobblepot, like, he kept, like, idolizing him and talking about, like, what would he do? What would he do? And then to have his grandson turn into this villain that kidnaps somebody. Uh, well, to, well, to be could, fair, to, to be fair. To with, vilify with, with, yeah. his hero, kind of. Well, but, but if, you re- if you remember, Mikey was really talking to One-Eyed Willie. The Chester Copperpot thing, the only time they really used it is to say, he told them, we made it farther than he ever did. The whole wishing well scene. Yeah. The, yeah. the catalyst for that is, don't you guys realize we made it farther than he did, and he was the expert, and we can do it now, and da-da-da. But really... After that point, he's talking that, to One-Eyed Willie, like, how did you can put together all these booby traps? So I don't think, right. like I say, Chester Copperpot could have been anybody. He could have been a monster. And, and there's no reason, you know, he was probably a good guy, but there, we really don't care about him. The future generation can always be spoiled and terrible. Yeah. I don't right. think it diminishes his place you know as whatever he was in the first true what about just that first part though like you said about the grandson shows up and somehow gets you know because i could i could almost see like a scene where yeah somehow he gets thrown into prison and then he's talking about this or whatever and the camera pans over and there's the there's the the Fatelli's right there. Yeah. And then they like become that. the bad guys again and because for them if they kidnapped Susie like I could totally see that. That would make sense and do, you know, I mean, it would actually be funny where if like they could do the same sort of a torture sequence as they did with Chunk but she's not going to react the way that Chunk did and that could be, you know, like a parallel but not and Okay, I, I can see that. So, so you're again. It sounds like your vote is bring back the Fratellis, and you you know you can use the grandson as a catalyst for it. So he he does come in and present. Oh look, there was more treasure because basically what he's saying is they did make it out once, and that that time that Chester got killed, that was the time that they didn't make it out the second time. But his son got out with all the information. You know, so so yeah, that could work, and then the grandson comes back to claim it, but he he doesn't become the main villain, but he becomes the guy who who gets the information of the Fratellis. Okay, I like that. And then the Fratellis, you know, again they're very good at getting out of jail, apparently, so they do that. <laughs> um, now, uh, I I would really like the idea. 
that going with Jeremy's concept, so maybe it's not the D.B. Cooper thing, but I still want Bigfoot in this movie. I just yeah, feel like that's something Spielberg would that, be behind. That definitely sounds... Well, I, I see them, as Jeff brought up, different time periods, different transitionary things where they can be standalone films. They don't have to be so interconnected. Maybe this first one, really, and then you can kind of start distancing yourself from the original Goonies by still having little little nods, little tie-ins where they could go off and have this adventure. And then 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, then they're going out on an adventure with their children. Yeah, but that, that's what, and obviously, yeah, that's I mean, we, we could turn it into, in, you know, to the full franchise, but like for this first follow-up, I think what it um, comes out to, like, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of bringing back the Fratellis. I, I think they tell. were wonderful. Yeah, but we I, could, t- we I, could I don't tell like a little the bit. idea of totally rehashing the first film, basically. You know, because it's like we've already right. seen this, the kids have already beat them once. So yeah. it's kind of like, what's the point of they? You well, know, then we it, know they're going to beat them again. So then you've got. They, well, there's no danger there. <laughs> then you've got the. Uh, the Home Alone scenario, where you have <laughs> Harry exactly, and Marv. To be honest, that was kind of what I was picturing through a lot of your 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 plot, Adam. That that it, it felt it was feeling Home Aloneish, which I guess in a certain sense it is. You know, right. the, like you said, the campiness and the 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 peril and the whatever. But you're right, where you get the same villains again and again. Um, I think though, for me, like, and that's what I've thought about with this entire podcast is this idea of like. Why why make a sequel, a prequel, or a reboot? And for me, and like like I, I always go back to Back to the Future, where as much as I didn't necessarily enjoy the sequels, I felt like they did it well because each sequel they didn't make a sequel that was designed to tie up like there were unanswered questions to the first one. Let's make a sequel that answers them all. Like I don't think that's yeah, a good no. reason. In itself, I feel like a sequel needs to be able to sing its own song. It needs to have its own its own motivations and its own plot. So you're right. I mean, if it feels like this is just Goonies 2.0, then yeah, then then what's the point? Like, let's just stick with the original. Okay, so so where do, where does that leave us then? So obviously we know. Okay, the kids are in high school. They're doing what they're doing, having their their fun, you know, and their different relationships. Um, now, is it again? Are, are we are we going to stick with the idea that we do use the element? Okay, Chester Copperpot's grandson comes in, or do we want to just delete that entirely? And we're saying, okay, we don't want any you know big tie to the previous film, um, because I I guess like the only only other thing I could see is that like what if there was a competition with like the rich kids or something, and the rich kids are talking about the treasure, the D.B. Cooper treasure, and that they have a lead on it or something. Maybe one of their dads is an FBI agent or something who's still pursuing that. And so they basically... Maybe that's Victor Copperpot. Yeah, could be. I don't know. I, I, there's there's really no reason to use him if he's not going to be yeah, no. you know, related to it. But um, but yeah, so like, and maybe there's... Because that, that's what I'm trying to say is, okay, so why why would they go looking for that treasure? Right. Why, why? I mean, you said it would be like one last one last adventure that they have together but in a certain way that kind of makes them greedy it kind of and but maybe they just have a cause they say we would because that's what i'm saying like maybe somebody has to be sick 
Maybe somebody has to be dying and need, you know, it's a very 80s it's, thing. They're going to save Ferris. Yeah, exactly. That's like, we're going to get this right. money. If we could find that treasure, we could do this to help this person. So I wonder, and I, and I think it should be somebody from the first film that, that you care about, like, or maybe, uh, nah, it's too bad. I was going to say, maybe it could be for sloths, uh, plastic surgery, <laughs> <laughs> but they're not really accepting their friend. Very maybe, well maybe Bran was riding the little pink bicycle, got hit by a truck. <laughs> maybe there that's it. Cause, cause you know, if, that's, oh. maybe, maybe it is like, you know, there's the older kids have already graduated. Who maybe want, maybe, maybe they get like arrested or abducted in Mexico or something <laughs> and they have to get the reward or the <laughs> ransom money. I don't know. That's not funny. Uh, I've I, my grandparents have had like those that's, calls. That's a college oh, yeah. Uh, I, I f- what about something like, what if like? Because remember, remember that, that's one of the parts that I do enjoy about the original film is that Chunk has the reputation of calling the police on for random whatever things. He he likes to c- cry wolf on exactly. very exaggerated stories. What if that somehow is the motivation where it's like he, you know comes up with something and then like the the police actually arrest him or, or i don't know something like where they actually have to prove that chunk was actually right or something hmm, okay to prove chunk right well, or to get his sense. bail money yeah well no but i'm saying if we're, if we're using the bigfoot angle right so like you know in the last one he's like oh yeah like those little green monsters that multiply when you get water right. on them you know so like so they're used to something that crazy but i'm just trying to think how how could chunk take it too far like why why would they i i really just see that as kind of a throwaway scene that calls back to it where they're taught they call them about bigfoot we found bigfoot they're like yeah right lawrence yeah you know so i feel like that would happen again because you could it would be the reason why the goonies have to uh have to handle it themselves because the police won't believe them you know so it's like they're because they're talking about bigfoot and dv cooper's money and they're like you are what you kids are crazy you know like <laughs> didn't you get enough money out of that pirate ship and you're and well you're and, and maybe we even flip that idea they go looking for bigfoot and f- stumble upon uh, a parachute full of money and then db cooper is out in the woods and, and, and find his bones well, maybe, or maybe he's still alive. Well, maybe. Like, maybe. like, like, because that's what I'm saying. Maybe he could be the new villain on some level. That's what I'm trying to find right now is the Goonies. It was so much about the chase. Like, yeah. They were being chased and there, and there was an urgency to it. Um, and like, so where, where do you kind of put that in? Um, because if they go and steal D.B. Cooper's money, I guess it would be a good thing because he stole it in the first place. So if they're bringing it back, you know, like, and maybe, I mean, maybe one of their grandfathers was the agent on the case and he was disgraced by it. So they want to find mm. it to help kind of redeem him. What do you think about something like that? I I don't know. We, we don't really have much of a, a background on them and their family. So, but that's what I'm saying. That could be a new character, like a lovable old guy who gets introduced and you see he was always down on his luck. Mikey's mom says, you know, he was never the same after that went wrong, you know, type telling thing. stories and right. And yeah. getting them, you know, and he could also give them romance advice and things too. the, the crazy uncle, crazy uncle, crazy grandpa, whoever. Ah, uh, I don't know how we would spin that. Yeah. Well, and, because, I mean, the other part, too, although, again, I, I hesitate because it could be done very, very poorly, is um, 
that the, the, the reality is they didn't make off in the first movie. They didn't make off with all the treasure. They just made off with one bag full of gems. So yeah. I don't know, especially in the 80s. I mean, I guess, you know, with inflation, whatever. I don't know how much gems go for. But one little bag like that. You're not set for life if you're buying the entire town. I yeah, mean, right. You could maybe buy like a house or a house and a half, but. All right. Well, this, this is what I'm going to propose. And then you guys yay or nay it or uh, modify it. Because this is, I mean, I feel like. <clears throat> essentially Jeremy's concept has really won out but I think we've we've done a good mishmash of things so we have the high school story we have the romance angle and then we have this this idea of okay they have to go find DB Cooper's treasure and I am gonna say that it's because Mikey again is kind of the one that everybody hangs on like he's the leader or whatever and again he you know he was kind of the catalyst for the first one it was his dad's map and everything in the attic so i'm, I'm gonna say that it was his grandfather was the agent pursuing db cooper okay and when he didn't catch him and nobody caught him he was basically a laughing stock he was kind of disgraced and you know he had to take on you know he, he just had to leave the agency and took on another form of work that was never fulfilling to him and so grandpa's now or yeah grandpa's now on his deathbed mm-hmm. and he's spouting off these stories and the kids want to go prove him right right and that's all it is like he's like i had it all figured out there and and he's gonna say something like my superior told me to back off i was so close but of course i couldn't you know, blame it on my superior. He told a totally different story that I gave up earlier or whatever. Yeah. You know, and, but I know that it was right here and that's where he would have been because of all the research I did ahead of time. So now they go out and they have that adventure. And when they get there, you know, they think they find D.B. Cooper himself, but it's actually like, you know, they go into a cave or something that's out there and Bigfoot lives there. And so now they found Bigfoot, right? And, and they befriend Bigfoot. Okay, like initially he's Bigfoot scary, da da da. So he's kind of like sloth. Yeah, from the first movie, he's the sloth. And and so they they go through all that. They befriend Bigfoot and his family. Bigfoot's got to have a family, you know, so he's more lovable. <laughs> and then okay, Harry. <laughs> and then what happens is there is there. I think what it really has to be is there has to be um, probably either it could go two ways. One is the the grandpa's superior officer is now coming back for the treasure himself. And now he's got like a team that he so hired. Now he's, he's the set up as the villain, right? So he's the villain or if not him, it's just a group of, um, of Bigfoot poachers. They're essentially coming after Bigfoot. Now we love Bigfoot and we don't want them, but they find out about the treasure. So now they want Bigfoot and the treasure and they're doing all they can to, you know, they, you know, are kidnapping the kids and whatever they're going to do. Okay. What do you think? Which one, which one kind of sits with you better? What about was your, your first one was the, the supervisor, the grandpa's supervisor, mm-hmm. right? What if, yeah. What if it's the grandpa's supervisor shows up and reveals that he is D.B. Cooper. That that could be a good twist on the end. Um, either that or, well... I just that, don't know how that would work, uh, though. He was obviously in the agency with him. But at the same he, time, like, <laughs> because he was throwing off the grandpa, off the trail, giving right. him false leads. But at the same time, we're, we're treading onto 
um, we're, we're really starting to edge real close to without a paddle and where they come upon uh, the supposed partner in crime with D.B. Cooper and that they were supposed to meet up. And We are also 20 years before. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so yeah, they're ripping us that. off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that that could really... I, I see that where he... He's heard that the grandpa's on his deathbed, so now is his time to go and get the treasure kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah, there we go. Yeah, nobody, nobody could uh And so it's a race between the kids and the supervisor. Nice. And at that point, you could really get villainous with him and his crew. Yeah. Now, now the other part of that, again, is so if Bigfoot's introduced, is Bigfoot literally just the sloth that kind of helps them thwart all the stuff that's going on or does bigfoot also get captured as a part of this like look i came for the treasure but now i can get bigfoot and notoriety it's like like but he doesn't he probably wants to fly under the wire he doesn't want notoriety from it yeah so so how does how does bigfoot play into it other than he's there for a little bit and comes back at the end to help them stop very very sloth like in his plot device but (laughs) uh yeah I, i i could see that uh, I do like it. Now, the question is, this is something I did not understand. Are you saying that without a paddle, it was all about D.B. Cooper? Yeah. Okay, because I forgot that part of it, and now it's kind of like it, what, it would be 20 years before it, but we're ripping it off. <laughs> we're we're jumping in the future. time machine and going 20 years before it and making this movie. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but we, with more beloved characters because we've had a whole movie to set them up. Yeah. Okay. True. Although, to be honest, like... Other than the specifics of D, like the specifics of of DB Cooper and his backstory, like this is a classic plot device. You know the yeah. the supposed good guy turns out to be the bad guy all along, and it was really me though. It's like Scooby Doo almost. So exactly. Although I, I feel like, it, you know, just at the time, that's probably something that would have been accepted. You, like we, yeah. again, like we said at the top of the podcast, we are not, we, we are a different society now than audiences were back then. So I feel like they probably would have been just as entertained by that. I mean, we'd have made out like bandits in the, in the box office with this, either that, or it would have went straight to VHS. Yeah. <laughs> but, VHS. So, so but yeah, but I, yeah I, maybe Betamax. Sure. <laughs> so now the last question I have then, so let's, you know, we'll just say all that happens, you know, they, they have their back and forth with, with the loot, with all the evidence and all the things. And DB Cooper, you know, obviously is clever. So he's, he probably set up a lot of booby traps and stuff around it. Yeah. Right. So, 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 like to protect the treasure all that time, um, and so all of those things are happening. Bigfoot again comes back at the end to help them and whatever. Um, but uh, so, my question is, what do we do with Sloth? Is Sloth a part of that? Because it seems like he shouldn't be, because he could easily overpower an adult guy. Yeah. Then... No, Sloth. Sloth. I don't know if he would nece- be necessary for the story, because we're introducing another Sloth-like character. Yeah. At that point, granted, if this is made five years after Goonies anyway, uh, that actor that played Sloth died. That's true. Yeah. John Matusek so. died. So, so, but are we saying then, are we just, we're just writing him out like something happened to Sloth? Like maybe he did get married and moved away. Like I, he found I love and it's a happy s- ending for him. It, yeah. We'd lean more towards, uh, 
he'd be elsewhere at that point. Okay. Well, and and even, you know, especially if we use uh, a similar um, introduction to like they did in the original movie where it's kind of like it it shows each one of the kids leaving their home to kind of get set, set their family up and everything like that. We could show Sloth living with Chunk's family. And so he's there. I mean, that could be part of. But but, but what I'm saying is people would expect Sloth to show up at some point and help out. But what about this? I have it. I have Uh it. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. So um, Sloth, you know, he's not he's not there for the adventure of them going to find the treasure and the stuff with the grandpa and all of that. But what if he does go out um, at a certain point? What if Bigfoot comes back? to Astoria with them like he comes into town and they like he and Sloth become friends because you know they're both monsters essentially so Sloth and Bigfoot are like you know they're this dynamic duo they're best buddies so while the Goonies go back to get the treasure and stuff like maybe big or, or they're getting caught by 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 the villain maybe Bigfoot goes to get Sloth or something and find and he helps him you know what I'm saying? Like, go find them. So Big a little Foot bit of Bash Sloth. Bros going on. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. A little Mighty Ducks too. But but you know, what I'm saying? so so you have those guys show up at the end to to go help. You know, but it's it's kind of that. That's why Bigfoot is not there at the beginning. You know, like 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 for a, the for the opening of the conflict, right? And creates more of the scenario and danger for the kids because the muscle isn't there. Yeah, and I and I think it may not be that Bigfoot goes to get help, but he is taken away for some reason and and meets up with Sloth. And maybe it's like, you know, I, I don't know if like cuz I I almost feel like again like Chunk was separated from the group in the previous one. Yeah. Maybe it is still Chunk, Sloth and Bigfoot cuz you have to have somebody who can speak. Yes. And and, and speak for the audience. <laughs> so like Chunk, Sloth and Bigfoot are having their own side adventure. Or else you have a lot of I am Groot's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think that would be great though. It's like Bigfoot, Sloth, Chunk and then they show up at the end to kind of help save the day. And um and yeah, I think that'd be great. Now the only other part of this, again, I'm not in favor of it, but do you think we still need something in there with the Fratellis at all? Or are we okay with leaving them out of it now? Because we could do that whole prison thing. Yeah. We're still like, like D.B. Sweeney is in prison or something. Or what's his name? Did I say it right? D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. Cooper. D.B. Sweeney, Sweeney. An actor from Spawn and other films. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So I guess that, I don't know. For me, I would just say, let's just leave them out. Let's just not have the Fratelli yeah. in this and let it be a new adventure on its own. Is that, are you good with that, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I was even thinking, like, too, that I think, like you were saying about the importance of a sloth-like character. I don't know about that one either. I mean, like you said, you could certainly incorporate it with the, with the you know, having the back and forth with Bigfoot and stuff like that. But also not having him in there is the same thing with the Fratellis. It's like, I don't think that's necess- that's a a necessary feature of the Goonies. Okay. Well, it, it, it really, like, yeah, Chunk could partner up with Bigfoot this time rather yeah. than Sloth. But, but my other thought is that um, if we are going to explain away Sloth, we could keep my concept of 
falls in love with the waitress. Willie's treasure chest diner could still exist. <laughs> and, and that, but that's, keep fighting for it, brother. Yeah, yeah keep, keep fighting, keep fighting. <laughs> as long as you can get Joe Piscopo. I mean, him. I mean, and in 87, he now, was, he was, now he was big. Be. That's true. He was pretty big on Saturday Night Live, but he wasn't doing a whole lot of movies. He had Johnny Dangerously never, and a couple yeah. other things, but nothing huge. He never broke, you know. Uh, but maybe, but that's what I'm saying. Or the other concept, again, just taken from my thing, what if the beginning of the movie is just like Sloth's wedding? Like, like there was this romance happening between he's got a he's got a girlfriend, he you know proses to her real quick and gets married and he's off. But maybe we just don't need that much explanation. Or but Johnny Depp drives up to the shore with the black pearl and <laughs> off goes exactly. sloth. Uh, yeah. I was seeing, I was reading just now that it says that, uh, they didn't, you know, they did a novelization of the Goonies right. and it does go a little bit further to say that Chuck's parents adopt sloth and throw him a bar mitzvah. So that <laughs> could be the opening, the sloth bar mitzvah. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> And maybe, but maybe like so he gets some lip service, but then we don't have to explain exactly where he's at. Well, be, it, do the part where they lift him up on the chair, <laughs> lift him up because he's too big, uh, and he starts yelling because he doesn't know what's going on. That him. would be great. No, and and what if his bar mitzvah present is the plastic surgery? So he gets yeah. set off from the foil <laughs> film, for and he shows up at the end, surgery. and he is Patrick Swayze, or yeah. he is, you know, whatever it is. I just. Let's May Patrick Swayze on. rest in peace. <laughs> there was oh. a point where Adam would make him sloth. Well, that's it. <laughs> Patrick Swayze was also too big at this time. So again, Joe Piscopo is my pick for uh, for sl- the slightly handsomer sloth. Yes. But um, so I think that's good. I think we got it, guys. So open the film. Sloth bar mitzvah gets set away for his surgery. Over the course of the weeks uh, of, of the surgery, or the few days, really, I guess it would be in this case. Now, Well, you'd want him to not have the bandages on the face. Right, exactly. But, but it is movie medicine, so it, it could have just happened really yeah. quickly. He healed you know, magic. So, so Sloth goes away. Now the Goonies are in high school dealing with all their romance and drama and hormones yeah and they go to the grandfather for you know love advice here and there but then shortly thereafter grandfather falls ill and he starts telling him this story like when they ask him do you have any regrets and he tells him the truth about db cooper um, as far as (laughs) as far as db cooper's story and db cooper dies (laughs) yeah <laughs> and then they can keep going yeah, I and get better at this. Like I got to learn how to speak and not lose my voice after two hours. <laughs> no, let me start over. Oh. So they go to Grandpa for all the romance advice, but then shortly thereafter he falls ill. And when they ask him if he had any regrets about his life, um, then he starts telling him about his role in pursuing DB Cooper, how his supervisor stopped him when he was so close and never understood why people saw him as a failure. He had to leave the department, all those things. Then what happens? They go out, they decide we got to redeem grandpa. We're going to do it for him. They use all his documents and everything he had saved. They go out there, they find it. And they, uh, there'll probably be a few booby traps here and there that they have to survive the first time. Um, they find, uh, not instead of finding the treasure, they find Bigfoot. Okay, they have their moment. They befriend Bigfoot. All those things happen. Right after that happens, uh, 
Bigfoot and Chunk go off for some type of adventure, which is uh, unexplained. They get separated, and that's when they run into the real D.B. Cooper, who is the supervisor. They recognize him because they have photos of, you know, newspaper stuff, and the supervisor took all the the credit or, you know, took the front thing. Yeah. And, uh, And so from there, basically, now the kids are being probably held a hostage by db cooper they try to get away a couple times but the booby traps bring them back in and then finally when it looks like all is lost sloth or sorry a bigfoot and chunk come back and save the day and uh and then everybody's happy db cooper goes to jail grandpa's redeemed he does uh, the money that was part of the treasure they find a miracle cure treatment for whatever his ailment yeah. <laughs> was grandpa's fine everybody's happy and then tad icing on on top of that sloth comes back he's a beautiful joe piscopo <laughs> and, and and from there we we go into the end credit song and and everybody oh uh, and uh, we have to wrap up all the romance angles so again like yes I said, yes so now it's we ha- there has to be some type of event that the guy the boys or maybe that we just end on that happy note but then it shows like the homecoming dance and now all the boys are there with their dates and they successfully did it whatever <laughs> data's off ahead. in the corner playing with his newest flashlight or whatever and then but that he sees the girl that was pursuing him across the gym looking lonely and she didn't have a date and he finally goes and dances with her and fulfills her dream. <laughs> we, we got you got to redeem data you know he's got he's got a he can't be totally asexual just because he's a brain and inventing things yeah no are we good with this have we done it did we break the story 180 uh, degrees from where we were at the beginning i think we've uh we've come up with a a, a script i love it <laughs> all right so the next question is what is the title of this film then what, what, what are we looking at for Goonies 2? Does it have a tagline or, you know, a, a subtitle or is it just Goonies 2? Ah, uh, I don't know. what. I feel like it needs a tagline. I, I don't know. I, I feel like not the, well, Goonies 2, the next adventure or Goonies 2, not Goonies 2 high school, but Goonies 2... I don't know. The next adventure sounds too. Although, again, 1987. So yeah, yeah. It's just before Next Generation. Yeah, is what you're saying. <laughs> so that we wouldn't have the Star Trek comparison. Uh, I don't. Well, no. I think it just in those like sequels would be made with like that seems like a fairly common title to have a sequel called the next something. The next. I mean, adventure. like my, my first thought was the Goonies two. The Bigfoot bounty, but I, it's not really about Bigfoot. You know, it's not yeah, his it's treasure. Like collecting his bounty. But you don't want to give away the DB Cooper thing either. That's not really a draw. Uh, That's just a well. It. You know. But at the same time, you're, you're having to decide between: Do you want to give away part of the story of, um, the hunt for DB Cooper, or, and then keep Bigfoot as the surprise, or spin it the other way? And have well, I mean, more Bigfoot, Bigfoot in the advertising part, right? I mean, Big Bigfoot is, I think, would be the better surprise. But I think by revealing it ahead of time, it really does draw people in. 
because I, I don't think the D.B. Cooper thing would be a draw for people, really. It would be a nice, like, you know, oh, I remember that news story, da-da-da. But, uh, but I, I think, like, Bigfoot just was really big, especially in the yeah. 80s. So I think by putting him in there, it would help. But I, I would be fine with just the Goonies, too, because so many movies back then did yeah, just, like just throw Gremlins a number on when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems, I don't know, that's why I feel like the Goonies... The Goonies specifically, and I'm looking. At, I don't know if if any of you have seen the original poster, um, but the original poster, uh, well, it says they call themselves the Goonies, the secret caves, the old lighthouse, the lost map, the treacherous traps, the hidden treasure, and sloth. Join the adventure. <laughs> wow! Steven so they give away the Goonies, a they, Richard Donner film. They give away one, the whole plot. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Well, but if you've never, you don't know what the heck that means. So yeah, who's sloth? Yeah, exactly. Now, and Je- sloth. Jeff, just so we're making sure it's not a fan-made poster, is oh, that no. the one of them hanging off like the stalactite? Stalactite. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just to make sure yeah, we're a map below them. Okay. So I I did draw up a poster in my head. Really? Okay. Yes. And so you'd have like the in the center of the poster, you'd have your Bigfoot silhouette walking away from you into a thick. Uh, a thicket of trees so it's pretty dense behind him and I mean the original had kids popping out and looking around a stalactite and so in this one it would kind of be like the kids are sticking their heads out from behind some of the trees in the background so they'd kind of be staggered and hidden back there and you just kind of catch the the outline and the profile of Bigfoot and you just see a silhouette and then uh and I think then I've got course, the tag the Goonies too with that. Goonies two and and it is just Goonies two for the title, but then the tagline would be uh you know it's a <laughs> sorry. And the title would be The Adventure uh, continues and this time it's big or something like that. Like like another adventure, and this time it's big, you know, and yeah. to play on the Bigfoot type Cause, thing. Because either way, that's and and I've I've seen because I think there's that I can see that the, there's two different posters that they did originally. The first one, and it sounds like Jeremy, that might be the one that you're picturing, where uh, they're like standing on a hill and they're pointing out, and they're like in the middle of a map. Uh, or like there's a map that's ripped away and they're right. that way. And then there's another one where they're like dangling from like in a cave or something like that. They're dangling, holding on to a stalactite and it's breaking as as it as it's happening. So either way, they definitely give a sense of adventure. So that's why I feel like the the picture itself needs to be like not just suspenseful, but but like denote action packed i suppose yeah and it does and it obviously this goes without saying but drew struzan who did you know star wars and indiana jones and all those posters also did the goonies posters yeah so he's got to come back for this to give it that continuity <laughs> and make it look as good as it can but yeah. but yeah my i i like the idea of just the bigfoot silhouette and maybe like chunk is kind of in the background with him because we know they're kind of connected in our in our story but then yeah and having everybody kind of either i i think what it should be is like you know some of the kids are like maybe poking out from behind a tree but some of them are caught in the booby traps also that are going to be featured and then we probably would have to have like the evil looking db cooper guy i mean again would that give it away ahead of time probably but i don't know if it matters like um it could be something where uh 
behind Bigfoot, like leading towards the bottom of the poster page are just his imprints. And in the imprints could be like a rippled water effect with like the D.B. Cooper sketch in one of them. And then nice. a yeah. map. Yeah. And, and grandpa and another one or whatever. I like that. Yeah. The Bigfoot. Just something so that iconic. leads. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that would actually be better where it's almost like. I wonder if it, if it was multiple, like you, yeah, I'm just trying to think if you want to do it and we could do two posters, but do we want to do it like one that was all Bigfoot feet where there's things, you know, inside the footprint or do we, or like you're saying, combine the idea of, okay, well the kids, you do kind of see them in the forest, but then there are Bigfoot feet that have a few other plot points. Well, I, I would say you've got your title up top and then you've got the forest uh-huh. and Bigfoot walking into it okay. and that's your main centerpiece. Got it. And then just in smaller footprints leading down towards the bottom, like cutting off the credits, like giving a clear path of where he's been. And then there's the the faces and different yeah. things can i tell you i just i just love the fact that bigfoot meets the goonies is yeah. this <laughs> is what this film is like i have no expectation of that being the case and i just i think it's awesome okay so from there the next question is um what are we doing uh in terms of casting so really, I mean, we're, we're bringing back I mean, the original it's, kids. You're bringing back the original kids. If you're going to do it, you're going to bring back the original cast. If yeah. not, then... Grandpa, though. So who, who, who are we bringing in to play Grandpa now? Oh, you got to have an authority figure. Yeah. Now, do we want like a big burly guy or do we want a simple guy? Like my thought is um, if you look at the guy who... Uh, it, it, like the guy, his name is Herm Cronin. I don't know if you remember him. He was in like Batteries Not Included. Oh, um, is it Hume Cronin? Oh, Hume Cronin. You're right. What yeah, did yeah, I yeah. say? Hume? I don't know. Anyway. I think you said I, Hume. I was picturing yeah, somebody Cronin. bigger. He's kind of frail. But that's what I'm saying. Like he he didn't have to be He's a big adventurer guy. He was the investigator. He was the guy who was on the trail. You know what I mean? It's not to say that he would have manhandled db cooper if he caught him but he was the brains behind it figuring it all out no no if we got to go for an authority figure that was a an fbi guy there is only one guy that you would try to cast sean pottery Oh, I think he was still doing Medicine Man and yeah. these other movies at that. Well, time. that was Hunt for Red October himself. and things. Well, and I think that's the tough thing too. Is that if you, I mean, even if we put Hume Cronin, because Hume Cronin had just done, um, or either had just done or was just about to do Cocoon. Well, eighty-seven, yeah, he had just done Cocoon and maybe Cocoon too. So he would have been a, he would have probably been the biggest star in the movie. And I don't know if that's what mm, we're trying. But but not for the audience they were going for. Cocoon was not a film for teenagers. You know what I'm yeah, saying? But, like, I, it, it but was this a popular is a family film. film. You're bringing your family, and so all the parents would be like, "Oh, oh Hume Cronin." Well, that's great. Something for everybody. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like I, I feel like he he kind of has that like you know lovable but he he could carry the gravitas the other person i had in mind who's a very similar type actor um who would have been you know about the same age at that time was uh from uh dragnet um the guy i'm trying to think of right now i think his name was frank uh, i can't remember off the top of my head um do you know, do you know what i'm talking about not frank trevitt we're not talking about the naked oh uh, no sergeant friday yeah, but no, no, not Sergeant Friday. His his partner. 
uh, Harry Morgan. That's who it was. And he was on MASH and everything else. MASH, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. So, yeah, Harry Morgan, I feel, again, because he has that kind of authoritative demeanor, even though he's not not Mr. Adventure super, you know, fantastic, you know, action star. But that's the point. He's an old grandpa now. And maybe he was young and dashing at the time, uh, you know, but... But now he's just an old guy on on his deathbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd want somebody a little frailer, yeah. Now the other question is who's DB Cooper then? Who's who's our great villain mm. for this time frame, you know? See, I could see him I could see Harry Morgan more as the villain, because he seems to have a little bit more I don't know, I don't oh, you, you think Harry Morgan should be the villain. I, I don't know, he strikes That's... me as that's actually an interesting twist. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. He kind of looks like he's an aged version of the uh, the D.B. Cooper sketches. Oh, really? Okay. A little bit. All right. So let's flip that then. Let's say Harry uh, Harry Morgan then as, as D.B. Cooper. So he's our villain. Um, and I feel like he would have to have some muscle with him. So you know what I'm saying? Like I, I feel like he would be... The guy that you know he wouldn't be able to kind of hold everybody at bay so maybe he has like some tough guy with him that does you know the work of tying up the kids or whatever it is or we could just go with it you know what he set up all with the a, with traps, a crew so he more, knows what yeah. he's doing he he knows how to trap these kids it's not a physical thing it was his cleverness so maybe that's better you know, so that he, it's just his, his clever nature and his pre-planning. So the kids have to outsmart him this time. Right. Yeah. What about, what about for the grandpa, going back to the, the grandpa, what about having Richard Donner do it? Wow. I don't know. I mean, would he have put himself go. in that type of role though? I wonder. I don't know. I mean, like willing? for me, and I love when directors do that where like, that's a bold move, but it's not a very large role. But it's also it's Tarantino and and uh, uh, Scorsese love to do this, where they're actually the pivotal character to the story. So it would be a bold move for a director to well, do. Well, the, the other question that, though is, is was Richard work. Donner? I mean, he had white hair, but was he old enough to really it, play a grandpa magic, that man. part? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Hold him up, and you know. All right. Well, that's good. No. Okay. Well, that's so so. Sloth rich, him up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Exactly. So Richard Donner is Grandpa. Harry Morgan is D.B. Cooper. And then the question is, is there anybody else that we've left out? I mean, do we want to cast the female love interests for the boys? Like, who who, who are the girls they're, of that era that would be They're not age? really going to be exactly huge parts of the story. So it could just be unknowns that yeah. get cast? Okay. Right. I mean, they might. And then, of course, when this movie is made, then... Like, <clears throat> then they may no longer have been unknowns, but that was kind of the thing too with this movie. I mean, like, almost all of these kids came from nowhere. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That that's fine. Um. So we so we have that going for us. So now the the question becomes soundtrack. Just real quick. Now in my original concept, who is big in nineteen eighty seven? You know, for the kids. And you look at, you know, we had Cindy Lauper last time. I don't think it would be necessary to bring her back. I think they'd be looking for the next big thing. Cause, and they'd say, okay, she was very 1985, but her, her star has risen and, and, and is on the decline. So I would say somebody more like, uh, like Debbie Gibson. 
And so I would say like Debbie Gibson, she was kind of that star of the moment in 87. And there's a song like uh, of hers that's called Only In My Dreams. And so I, I feel like that would be kind of like the originally it was kind of like with the romance angle of it it could kind of be like the love theme type idea okay but it was poppy enough to be exciting and you would want to make a music video about it you know i i grabbed a bunch of bunch of songs from 87 and 88 that i was like i mean granted they used the bangles in the first one let's bring back the bangles and some dorky scene with the kids trying to walk like an egyptian okay really yeah um Granted, looking at it, looking at it back from, or looking back on it now from, from way back when, we could rickroll them. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't. Never gonna give you up. Though. Yeah, yeah. Where would that fit? I like the I like Maybe the walk that's... like Egyptian thing better though because it would be just tie it to MTV. Yeah, and it's just a little moment where they're where they're messing around in somebody's living room and they're walking like an and, Egyptian. And that and... that could even be something that's like playing in the background and on a jukebox while they're at the restaurant or something right. ridiculous. Um, um, Wang Chung. Everybody have fun tonight. Could be like the credit scene, kind of. The, the only thing the about that one for me is that that because I I thought about that song too, and I I was like, you know what the problem is with everybody, you know, have fun tonight, you know, is that that's kind of that was for like the adult yuppies of that era. <laughs> that was their music. That was cocaine fueled party music, <laughs> and the the Goonies are so not that, you know, yeah. it, and especially the setting of the town. It's not an urban environment, so I Definitely felt like not. that song just doesn't quite fit. So that's why you got to keep it with like a solo singer almost or you know you just pop in the bangles for a second but everybody have fun tonight i just did i didn't see where that could fit uh a couple others i threw in there we've got wanted dead or alive by bon jovi too serious yeah uh, bon jovi was too serious at that time he because they were huge yeah but i think they were too big for the movie if that ah, makes sense right yeah and not not like because the goonies was not a blockbuster enough, but yeah right yeah Although that is the one thing, though, too, is that to keep in mind is that kind of like the natural plus or plus or, or pitch or whatever you want to call it is it like like again when you look at the poster is it definitely is Steven Spielberg presents the Goonies a Richard Donner film like right there you've got whoa this is Steven Spielberg and Richard Donner those are big names in the eighties very so true. it's like bang bang right there it's a big time thing but of course they yeah want to emphasize that it's kids though okay well let's <laughs> well so and jeff did you have any suggestions on your end song wise that you felt like would fit no i'm i mean i'm usually more for the orchestrations and but yeah just generally i would feel that it, you know if the, the original composer definitely had a a a spirited feel and you know gave those kind of adventurous music and and i mean still like that you know when you think of data and data doing his like the the slick shoes and the stuff like that the the music that goes along with that per- perfectly fit that but it perfectly fit a child doing that so an adolescent doing that that would be the challenge for the orchestration is that okay so now like if data's still doing the same stuff, it's not cute anymore. It's kind of lame. And it's kind of like, all right, you're 14 years old, kid, and this is kind of strange now. 
now. Yeah. And so it changes, it, it changes a little bit what, so it's like, if they use, because what was it, the original guy? I hadn't heard of him before. It yeah, was, Dave uh, Grusin, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So if I thought it was same, like Bill Conti or somebody like that, right. but I don't even know. Yeah. If they got the same person again, that would be fine as long as, yeah, he can kind of feel like, okay. As he can feel, make it a little more mature. Exactly. Feels going to be a little different. But, but I feel like because there was such an MTV tie to the first film with, with Cindy Lauper doing the two part music video and all of that, like they would still be chasing that. So I, I, I agree too, that really it's the score for the film, but then there will be those brief moments where they drop in them watching TV or listening to the radio or or emulating the recent pop star. So I think just, even though it doesn't quite fit, like walk like an Egyptian would be on the soundtrack, but it wouldn't be the single associated with the film. I feel like just because the Egyptian angle would just be totally off from from the premise of the film but i but i again i I think just debbie gibson only in my dreams it's a little love ballad you know you throw that in there a little power love ballad yeah and and that again didn't cindy lopper write a couple of songs for the movie or at least based on the movie Mm, well just one yeah the goonies are good enough right well i think they said that what is it the famous uh octopus scene that was cut you guys heard about the, the oh, yeah, when they yeah. first get in there, there was supposed to be a whole, they filmed an entire scene where they fight an octopus. They cut that out. I guess she wrote another song for that. Oh, and I, I toyed with putting the octopus in. It's like the octopus needs to get his due. Yeah. But, but I just felt like, you know, let's, let's just let it go. So, right. but yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, well, you know, we'll just kind of have a, a couple, a couple hits in there and, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. Cause like I say, again, the there's everything going on but the the kid story it's almost like in karate kid part two they have that peter satara song you know glory of love but daniel's love story is really not the focus of that movie it's mr miyagi's movie yeah but but they still made that the big single from the movie and it plays during the film so that's what i feel like you know this love ballad could be in the character moment for mikey getting the girl or whatever whoever has the strongest you know adolescent romance angle and that's what they focus on for the marketing but but you know as far as the song but everything else you know is just like fun poppy music that goes in there so now let's move in let's take a look at um the merchandising so what what kind of ideas are you having just for like actual merchandise and just to preface it i did do a little research there wasn't for the first film there was hardly any merchandising there were some coloring books yeah there were uh you know like there was a there was a board game and then there was actually a uh they like everything at that time there was a storybook and i've i've downloaded this you can actually go to retrodays.org and find it which uh it's pretty amazing chunk narrates the story of the movie <laughs> so it is actually you know it's actually the actor telling it and he's great like it's so hilarious just hearing the story from chunk's point of view wow you know so they had that but like other than that like there wasn't a whole lot of merchandise so i feel like they would rectify that this time they would put out well more because stuff. there's more things to build off of like right. except for now you've switched your target audience though yeah too. That's the tough part. But but I, I still feel like the, the studios at the same time 
they they would still merchandise to younger kids because yes it's supposedly for high school kids are going to relate more but remember when you were like 10 and 10 yeah. and 11 you i like you watched say by the bell because you loved the older kids you you yeah. fantasized about being a high school kid so i feel like they would still be reaching that group like for me like the the number one thing that i because i feel like also they would rectify the fact that they didn't do anything in the first film so they, I, the one thing, do you guys remember grow rocks that they were these little aquariums that you dropped these pebbles into and they were multicolored yeah. and then they would grow up to like, they were like stalagmites. Like they were like, stalagmites are the ones that grow up out of the ground. Right. I does think anybody so. know, does anybody really, I don't know? remember, but, but like, so but it would have the one eyed really pirate ship in there and then it would, you know, they could grow up and you know, it's like, I feel like they would just slap a goon, a goonies theme on that. Um, and then I feel like, um, like my other, my other concepts had to do with, uh, my original premise, which is no longer in here. So, oh, okay. So we'll let it go. But did you guys have any ideas where you think they would want to take it? I don't know. Something I'm, I'm betting there would be, Hey, you guys sweatshirts. And I, I thought at first I was like, Ooh, sweatpants with, like Goonies across the butt, and then I was like, "Wait, that didn't come into play until like no, the 2000s." Yeah, this isn't <laughs> yeah. juicy. The juicy wear, yeah. <laughs> but they would, and I mean, like, yeah, you're. I mean, sweatshirts, sweatshirts with it across the front. I think the big one would be trapper keepers. You would uh, definitely yes. have Goonie trapper keepers, right? That was my thing. Where because the 80s were just at the end of like lunch boxes, but that's the problem is high schoolers don't use lunch boxes. Yeah, no. So I feel like, but I mean, if you're targeting younger kids, they might do it. I don't think it would be terribly successful. I'd focus on like school supplies, backpacks, trapper keepers, pencils. pencils. Yep. And I do feel like they would come up with Bigfoot merchandise. Chunky so, racers. <laughs> but but I, feel, I feel like Bigfoot would be like the draw that they would use. They're like, you know, to, to coin, I think it's a more current phrase, but, you know, it's more toyetic. Yeah. You know, create Bigfoot toys. So, you know, and they would probably go with stuff that's already been created on some level, like Bigfoot slippers, you know, there'd be like... Or- it it depends. They might just take Chewbacca toys and remove the <laughs> the the gear and sell those as, there you go. as Bigfoot toys. Yeah, so it's tough though because eighty seven eighty seven is actually the same year that Harry and the Hendersons did come out. So well, it, it makes but, sense. It probably we would have been part of that zeitgeist. You know how like that yeah. happens where there's like multiple films that have the same basic premise. Yeah, you get Deep well, Impact I, and I, you get Armageddon. You know, within yeah, a year of oh, each yeah, other, or same year, whatever it was. But yeah, but that well, and that's because now I thought well, and, and maybe that would have to change then because I thought the Bigfoot was kind of like the chunk or the the sloth role where he was kind of an add on. It wasn't the Goonies and the search for Bigfoot. Well, he but, is, but he's like the Boba Fett of the of this movie because he's uh, the one. Ultimately, I believe that people are going to latch on to. They're like, "Oh, Bigfoot was the best" because he'd have to be played by like a pretty awesome actor. Like, and it doesn't matter who it is. Like, I mean, maybe it could be stunt casting. <laughs> Patrick Swayze, Joe nah, Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. No, he's already coming. No, back we'll just the get the guy from that plays Chewbacca to come in. <laughs> Peter. Get May- it, yeah, Peter get him a get him a new costume. No, but but, but now. Outside of that, because, you know, we were talking about they could do the merchandising, but I feel like 
it's really like the promotional tie-ins is really well, when that was starting to kick in. Promotional in tie-ins. Like you're talking like McDonald's toys and right. cups and collectible cups. And yeah. now Bert, I think, I think Goonies was not high enough in, in, you know, it wasn't ET level. So I feel like they would go to Burger King. So Burger King yeah. would be handling the, the promotional tie-in for fast food. So I, I do feel like there would be the promotional glasses, definitely, because Burger King did a lot of stuff like that at the time. Promotional yeah, so cups. you'd have each kid would have their own glass and yeah. Right. And then they would introduce the Bigfoot burger. See, so you'd be able to have the Bigfoot burger. And then I still I, I still am going to pitch that in this premise at some point they go over a waterfall okay and like you know they're coming over a waterfall and data has his hang glider thing so he's still that still comes into play so they would have in the the happy meal toy or the kids meal toy for burger yeah. king they would have like a data glider one of those like foam gliders oh, okay. that you put gotcha. together so data's body and then the wings you know that you put through so i think that would be like the toy that came with it and then probably like a bigfoot huh. foot stamp so you could do the stamps on yeah. a piece of paper. Stamps were so big back then. Oh, Pogs. Pogs didn't come till the 90s. <laughs> yeah. You're a few we're years we're pre-Pog. <laughs> Although that would be awesome. But Jeff, any ideas for promotional? Because it doesn't have to be just the fast food. Like there could be like a right. promotion on a candy bar. Like, you know, and you win the sweepstakes or something along the lines of like, you know, uh, a department store maybe has a promotion. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I, I definitely feel like uh, a lot of Data's things would go well for, like, yeah, kids meals, toys, and stuff like that. I would like to just just to jump back for a second. Just that, um, like, Goonies by no means. Like when it came out, Goonies was pretty successful. It was the top, like, in the top ten highest grossing movies of 1985. So it wasn't a flop by any means, but it definitely wasn't, you know, the 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 where everybody was talking about it and everybody, you know, like like you said, it wasn't marketed. Yeah, pe- that people way didn't go to see. It wasn't like Star Wars or ET yeah. level where people saw it three or four times exactly. in the theater. Yeah, but it was still a pretty big deal. It, it, it was, was more not... of an acquired taste then. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I you know, in, as I look at it. Just because it is technically like everybody knows about it, but I do feel like it's it's just one hair away from being a cult film in certain regards, like the devotion people have yeah. to it because it's not like one of the standards where you just say, oh, this is one of, you know, one of the great films of all time. Like it doesn't fall into that category, but it's like, oh, it's just a, it's a cute film. It's a wonderful film. Like, you know, people like Goonies. You know, type thing, but it's not it's not talked about, you know, on anybody's top top ten list in many cases. All right. So I mean, I think we've pretty much done it. Um I think we, we've successfully conceived the Goonies sequel that nobody saw coming. So with that, um, I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, before we head out here, we will tell you, you'll want to tune in uh, next week. It's going to be exciting. Uh, we do have a, a, a full schedule of these movies put together to get updates uh, on the upcoming episodes and to just keep yourself informed in general. Uh, you'll want to go to sequelquestpod.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter 
at sqpod okay and there we'll be you know giving you the updates recording times and everything else you'll be able to kind of see the progress of the show you can also uh, take a look at our facebook page and join the conversation there so just go ahead and search uh, for sequel quest pod Uh, you should be able to find it there as well and uh, with that we will uh, bid you farewell and we'll catch up with you next week quest on I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sold on that tagline. All right. (laughs) Welcome to episode 100 of Sequel Quest. We are honored that you, the listener, have chosen to join us tonight for this very special milestone in our podcasting careers. So let's kick off the celebration by hearing from the man who needs no introduction. Except when he does, which is now, Jeff. <laughs> I made it! Woo! I'm alive! A <laughs> hundred episodes into your podcasting experience. Why do you feel it right now, Jeff? Oh, remember Justin? Oh, <laughs> good times. <laughs> he only made it, what, 20 episodes? What a chump. <laughs> <laughs> The good news is he doesn't listen to the show, I am certain. Oh, no, we love Justin. Next, a gentleman who was seemingly born with a microphone in his hand and given a voice to match. Jeremy, would you call these 200-plus hours of podcasting the most rewarding part of your life so far? 200? Shoot, we're closer to three. Woo! And uh, I'm the man who just doesn't have the time to make real movies, but I can always find a few moments to dream up a fake one. Adam, at your service. Now, you might have noticed our new theme song, courtesy of my friend and former rock band mate, Donovan Raitt. Yes, he is related to Bonnie. And uh, thanks to past guest and friend Haley Terrace for becoming the new voice of our podcast. We just thought, you know, as we're hitting a milestone, why not hit the refresh button a little bit, give you something new, so we hope that gets you excited for each episode going forward. But this is going to be a very special episode with lots of guests stopping by to join the celebration. Oh, and look, here's a couple old friends right now. Hello, Sequel Quest. This is Pax. And this is Sean. And we are from Cult Film Club. Hey, Sean, how are you? Hey, Pax. Long time no talk. I all talked to you yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we talked all the time. So uh, so why? I felt like we were doing a sequel to our podcast for <laughs> this. Yeah, I, I don't know. So why? Yeah, why are we here, Sean? You why called me up and you said, well, you want to do something? So what are we doing? What are we doing? I, I heard through the grapevine that uh, Sequel Quest was celebrating their 100th episode. 100 episodes. That is amazing. We haven't even reached... We have episodes. It feels like we've done 100 episodes. Uh, well, yeah, well, we've been doing it for 20 years. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then we'll probably reach 100 episodes in 2035 or something like that. But we have some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so that being said, Sean and I have been really, we've been working it hard. We were ready to come back on the show with you guys. Uh, we were on the Rad episode together, which was a lot a lot of fun, and we want to do it again. I know I've, I've been working out my sequel muscles. I don't know about you, Sean, and I, I got a couple ideas. Do you? I have a couple ideas. I've been thinking really hard about sequels and i think that they're gonna be totally up their alley oh yeah yeah i'm right there too i got a couple dynamite ones or definitely one dynamite one what's your throw one out sean okay i'm gonna start out this is gonna be hard to top i think harold and mod 2 starring film wolfhard and michelle pfeiffer Oh, oh, I should have gone first because I don't know if I follow that one. That was amazing. All right. All right. My turn. My turn. Showing you. I'm showing you we're ready. Here we go. My idea. Clue two. 
Murder in High School. It's a prequel. We go back to high school, recast everyone with the cast from High School Musical. There you go. Oh, oh man. That's like four episodes right there. <laughs> I know, right? This should be a Netflix series right now. Totally. Well, I also thought maybe we could think about the sequel to Streets of Fire. Even though there technically is one, it doesn't count. So Streets of Fire 2, maybe with Dave Batista and Emma Watson. That looks like a couple made in heaven, right? <laughs> oh, yes. I want all of that. Sign me up. All right. I got another one for you. Hopefully... You're ready for this one. I don't think you're ready, but hopefully you're ready for this one. I don't think I'm ready, but lay it on me. I am ready to lay it on you. My idea, sequel to Teen Wolf. Where Teen Wolf 2 exists. I'm not erasing it, unlike what everyone else would do. I am saying Teen Wolf 3, Old Wolf. We bring David Naughton in. He is like the grandfather. Oh, that is such a great idea. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm I'm like creating Shakespeare. As I can <laughs> I can see this in my head. As long as we can convince Matt Adler to come back to be the scared kid. Yeah. Or 60 something. I don't know. He's like 50 now. I don't know. Yeah. And I guess we're probably just to continue the tradition, recast styles again with someone else. So uh, (laughs) uh, I say Finn Wolfhard. There you go. Finn Wolfhard or the guy that's Steve in Stranger Things. (laughs) Yes. There you go. That'll work. All right. Well, those are our pitches, Sequel Quest. So I will be eagerly awaiting DMs from all of you because this is gold. I don't know how you're going to pass this up. I may even start a podcast just to use these. Yeah. I mean, I'm expecting to get paid for all the ideas that we're throwing out right now, actually. Yeah, that's a given. Yeah. You can can go to our Patreon and become... Patreon subscribers. <laughs> Patreon subscribers for our, for our Sequel Quest ideas. That's our podcast. Sequel, Sequel Quest, Quest ideas. ideas. And uh, we're just going to every week come up with new ideas to put on Sequel Quest until they let us back on the show. This sounds like a this sounds like a great idea. And congratulations, <laughs> you guys. Yes. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Keep up the good work. Yep. Thanks, Sean and Pax. Awesome to hear from you. Some pretty unique sequel ideas there. So... Before we get to our pitches tonight, we thought it would be fun to take a little victory lap around memory lane and discuss a few of our favorite moments from the show's history. You know, this is officially episode 100, but factor into that over 20 sequel chat movie reviews, bonus episodes, and interviews. I mean, there's a lot more content in our feed than just our standard episodes. So, do you guys have a particular episode for you that stands out as you look back and you just say, why did we do that movie or (laughs) that one was a lot of fun jeff how about you all of the above well there's a couple of things the things that kind of crack me up in hindsight although it's usually me in my own self-absorbed selfish way that i come up with a sequel that i get really excited about whether it wins the vote or not for somehow like i get really excited that it's actually gonna happen and in my own mind it is somehow a reality and it spoils the actuality (laughs) for me So like I was mentioning, like when I went to go see Endgame, I had made such a compelling sequel to myself for Thor that when I saw Thor say, (laughs) I'm still worthy of my hammer. I'm like, that's a joke, man. My version's better because you're not. Same thing, too, when, like, I got so excited about our Postman sequel that I was just like, I can't wait to see this. Oh, it's not actually going to happen. That really disappointed me. The one for me, even to this day, that I still tell people, if I'm going to check out your podcast for the first time, which one should I check out? For some reason, I, I still remember Speed. I always tell them to check out Speed. I don't know what it is about that one that just everything felt like it clicked. It was way back in the way back. Again, Justin was still around. Through um, Speed. Yes. But the one that still baffles me as 
how in the world did we get here just a few times ago making our sequel to Karate Kid that we ended up with <laughs> World War Karate? I don't know how it happened. But I, Blame Jeremy. <laughs> we had to combine them because it was a three-way tie. But your pitch for that particular one did involve quite a crossover. Just well, initially. yes. <laughs> murdered and yeah. But Jeremy, was there one particular episode for you? The one that still perplexes me the whole time. I've still never seen the movie, and that is Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> I, I guess we've just got the SEO correct or something, but we're literally averaging 250 views a month on that <laughs> show on the website. Not that many people watch the movie. A month. Uh, I know. <laughs> Not disparaging our guests in any way, they the pitches were fine, but oh, I think it's were, just the concept of a Jupiter Ascending 2 that is so baffling to the world. They're like, is there any possibility? And we're the only ones talking about it. Happy 100th episode, Sequel Quest! Kristen and Emily here, and we're proud to have been part of your most downloaded episode, Jupiter Ascending 2. We're even proud of making your least popular episode a Scott Pilgrim vs. the World sequel. We're especially pleased with our vision for a much-needed Ghostbusters sequel. And we're holding our breath for a drop-dead Fred extravaganza. You've knocked him dead in a hundred episodes. Here's to a hundred more! Oh, very nice. Speaking of Jupiter Ascending, there they were. In unison, no less, so that's pretty impressive. Yes, Kristen and Emily, we could have you back on for a Drop Dead Fred sequel. You know, we've mentioned Justin quite a few times, and I, I think it's, it is worth mentioning that, yeah, in the early days of the show, we had a fourth co-host who, in retrospect now, I almost feel like he was our special guest for a year, is basically <laughs> what it was, you you know, like he was our permanent guest and, uh, you know, Jeff and I have been friends with him for years and we were surprised that he lasted that long because he's a busy guy yeah. with many different interests and projects he's always moving on to. So the fact that he stuck with it meant that Sequel Quest had something special for a while there. So, you know, Justin, we do miss you, but I feel like after those first 25 episodes or so where he brought that very special energy and humor, I feel like there was a great benefit in his departure in that we gave gained a great network of guests who have come on with some great pitches over the years, you know, many of whom have returned multiple times because they just have so much fun with it. And I think, you know, if nothing else, to have that community built around the show, it's really been rewarding to experience that. And hey, wait a minute, here's another message coming through on the old Sequel Quest machine. Hey, this is Jay from the Sexy Armpit and the Purple Stuff podcast. The red phone in my study room just lit up, and it was a message from Commissioner Gordon, who informed Alfred, who then in turn informed me, that it's the 100th episode of the Sequel Quest podcast. Not only have I been on the program as a guest, but I often listen to it while I'm out crime fighting my Batmobile and cruising the streets of Gotham. Uh, I mean, patrolling the night, keeping Gotham safe for decent people. Since I'm really digging where this premise is going, perhaps you guys could make a sequel to this little pre-recorded birthday wish? Nah, for real though, congrats to Sequel Quest for reaching the 100 episode mark, and remember, you cannot legislate morality, or music, or people's minds, or we will bring you down, man. We will bring you down. But yeah, when I look back at the show's history, there are episodes where I was just like, why did we do a sequel to Hitch? 
why did we think that was a good idea? Like that was that was a strange one for me. But I always get excited, obviously, when we choose or when I <laughs> forcefully suggest that we do some of the random cult films that I love. Troop Beverly Hills. I thought it was great to have Haley with us, who is a professional writer and comedian. So it kind of validated what we do. Like someone who actually <laughs> pitches <laughs> stuff for a living was on our show. This is Haley Terrace from the Troop Beverly Hills episode recently on Sequel Quest. I'm currently in a closet eating some stale but still delicious Thin Mint cookies. Here to wish Jeff, Jeremy, and Adam the very best on their 100th episode of Sequel Quest. And wishing you even better than the best for your next 100 episodes. May you all be famous and give me money to continue doing things with you. God bless y'all. Thank you. I feel like we had some pretty good ideas when we approached things like, well, basically any time Jeff's wife Judy has been on the show. So when we've done The Rocketeer or Hook, those episodes have always been a lot of fun. But when I point people to something that's like a good jumping off point, just like Jeff was saying, our Indiana Jones episode was actually really good. Like, I think we all got a good handle on a, on what that could be. And we showed that it's really hard to have a bad Indiana Jones movie, unless you put aliens in there. So <laughs> Come on, so. Crystal Skulls. Speaking of which, you know, our show is one half nostalgia and memories and stories. And then there's, you know, the actual imagining of the next installment or the prequel or the reboot. So for you guys, is there a particular pitch over the years that has never left your consciousness? Honestly, like we're going to talk about tonight with the Goonies, is it still the shock of hearing Adam's first pitch and the fact that one, <laughs> it was about a 45 minute pitch and two, <laughs> Somehow came up with sloth turning into Joe Piscopo. <laughs> and it became a running joke for us for at least several months. Like, yeah, that one definitely caught me off guard. I mean, I had a different concept for the show when it initially started. And uh, for some reason, I thought a two-hour episode was acceptable. If anything, we've learned over the years that brevity is our friend and uh, editing as well could be... <laughs> quite a benefit to the show I and mean, i think that just showed our enthusiasm at the time to be our able to jump enthusiasm in. hang on a second <laughs> it is the really interesting thing especially if you have 200 hours to spend and go back and listen to the entire run here is that it did kind of start off justin and i had been best friends since we were in second grade and then hadn't spoken to each other in maybe 10 years until we did that first podcast. And so some of the podcast was the three of us just kind of catching up. And the Justin and I had, well, I still have not met Jeremy in the flesh, but uh, <laughs> like, so we were meeting this new person. So there was this, I thought that was the interesting thing as we were getting going, there was some of this dynamic. And as you guys now well know, you get to meet Adam, and Adam is one of these guys that he goes off on his bandwagons, and he goes off and, like, talking about his stories and Obsessions. his characters and his, <laughs> his whatever. And the interesting thing I still think is that now, if you ask me, our show has kind of gone where Adam finds a movie that he's bizarrely fascinated with and finds a guest star who is also obsessed with that movie. And then all of a sudden, I become the weirdo because I'm the one saying, Troop Beverly 
Beverly Hills is actually a hot mess. And, oh, oh how dare you? It's the greatest. Literally, someone said, I'm not going to mention names. Someone said it's maybe the most perfect movie of all time. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Go back and check out the episode. But that's why the part of the chemistry that works, we have to have someone who actually has good taste in films on the show. But I don't think they think that's me. You guys don't <laughs> think that's me. Uh... Well, I mean, I think, yeah, we, we've each kind of fallen into our roles that I think serve the show best. I get to be the curmudgeon. I'm definitely the one with the obscure taste, and Jeff has the more populous taste, the understanding of, of what is considered a, you know, a decent film. And Jeremy is the one who is connected to what's going on in cinema now, because obviously my knowledge kind of stopped in 2000. <laughs> you were born, 1985. <laughs> yeah, had to be closer. Well, hello there. This is Chad Ecto Young of the Horror Movie Barbecue Podcast and Horror Movie Barbecue Blog and all that fun stuff to call in and wish a very, very happy 100th episode. I can't believe it. 100 episodes of fun, laughter, creativity like the world has never seen. One of the most creative and interactive podcasts I think I've ever listened to. Just good people making up some good new ideas. You know, we all sit here and play the quarterback movie studio executive and and say, well, this should have been done, and that should be done, but these guys make it a lot more entertaining. And I'm so glad that this show exists and such good, positive, fun podcasting is out there. So happy 100th episode, and here's to about, eh, why not a thousand more? You know, what's even funnier, though, is like when you go back to the evolution of the show, for those who were not there at the very beginning, which is probably everybody, the reason the show is called Sequel Quest is I was basing it on an obscure 90s television show called Sequest DSV. Right. The great show, the first season. Well, not only that, because we were Sequel Quest P.O.D. That's right. right. So it's supposed to be our thing. And you can still view that original logo way back in the Wayback Machine on the web. Website in the episode archive go all the way back. Uh, a few pitches that stood out, not saying any of your pitches were bad or that <laughs> mine were better. I really dug my Dark Knight legacy pitch, which was a, another trilogy. Port of Owls, yeah. 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 That and The Postman was good, but I think I salvaged the legacy of Crystal Skulls by tying it into the sixth element. Yes, that that was very cool. The Fifth Element episode was actually a great one. I feel like everybody also came with some great stories for that. And also, why the heck did we ever do a sequel to The Room? We like a challenge. What can well, we say? Well, yeah, we said oh. we've all we've done good movies. Why don't we do a bad one? Oh, or well, universally agreed upon bad one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, I do uh, recommend at least through like the first 40, 50 episodes, listening to it at least on 1x speed, if you're listening back to them, probably <laughs> 2x. Um, that made the Goonies go by a lot quicker if you're going to go back and compare. You know, one pitch for me that always cracked me up was, uh, you know, we did our Xanadu episode yes, and uh, Xanadu. sequel to Xanadu. And I think we had a lot of fun with that show. Uh, I even won. <laughs> Hey, just, I won Justin over. He watched the movie for the first time. He's like, it was a delight. Uh. So he was on board, but that was what was so funny to me.
movie is his pitch was a horror movie, just a straight horror movie set in a closed-down roller disco. And I was like, so Justin, is it whimsical? Is it kind of a funny show? He's like, no, it's terrible. People are being (laughs) murdered. It's grisly death. I'm like, oh. (laughs) And the fact that he just went so against what it could possibly be always cracked me up. Hey, Sequel Quest crew, CT from the Nerd Lunch Podcast here, wishing you a happy 100th episode, or should I say happy 99th sequel to your original episode. I've had the pleasure of podcasting with you a couple of times and formulating ideas for sequels for two movies that should have had sequels, 1980's Flash Gordon and 2010's A-Team. I've also enjoyed listening over the years, and so I have these thoughts for you in the immortal words of Jeff Lynn, a million lights are dancing, and there you are, a shooting star, an everlasting world and you're here with me, eternally, Xanadu. What do you know? CT, giving us a Xanadu reference. Oh, thank you, buddy. I remember uh, when Forrest came back to do the Jurassic Park 4 pitch. Right. It, bringing back the Samuel L. Jackson character. And he had a robotic arm and everything. Like, it was perfect. I mean, like, sometimes they're wild, but they just, they fit so well. Plus, if you think back, Jeff's always, you know, adapting existing stories and working them into the continuity of a film, which is endearing and shows his (laughs) his cultured nature. Because all the stuff he's referencing is, like, classic literature and plays and opera. And I'm just like, what? Like, (laughs) things I just have never heard of. But occasionally, Jeff sneaks in something original and we did that on kind of a weird episode that was our april fools episode sorry jeff not to insult you no i know what you mean but we did this episode that was our supernatural thrillers episode where we had to do two pitches because we were pitching a fake movie that we tried to convince the audience existed and then oh and now here's the sequel to that movie and jeff came up with this fake guillermo del toro film called el diablo and fuego and i was i was just like like whoa fire yeah (laughs) and so like that was just a a fun one where i was just like wow he really got into that so like i I think when we when we've stretched our wings a little bit and done those types of episodes it's brought out the best in us in in many cases but i don't think it's brought in very many ears so it's worth going back to check that out if you want to see something unique and original concepts for films from us a little bit different than just a, a sequel to an existing universe Let's hear from another one of our friends. Wish it as well. Hello, this is Ryan Haas, the webmaster and founder of the Super Mario Brothers The Movie Archive website. You might remember hearing me and my partner, Stephen Applebaum, on bonus episode 8 of the Sequel Quest podcast, which was a companion episode to episode 79 of the Sequel Quest podcast, which focused on, you guessed it, Super Mario Brothers. I just wanted to wish everyone who's part of the Sequel Quest crew a happy 100th episode. It is not an easy feat to get to episode 100 of any podcast. Uh, Me personally, I'm a part of a few other podcasts like Batman on Film and Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. Batman on Film got to 100 a couple years ago and we are almost at 100 for Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. And speaking from experience, it takes a lot of dedication and hard work to get up and get a podcast going and get to 100 episodes. It's no small feat. So congratulations, guys. Look forward to seeing you reach episode 200. And as always, trust the fungus. Oh, very cool. For you guys, is there a way that you've noticed 
the show has changed? Is is there a, a welcome change or aside from the length of the show? Well, it definitely, and I remember when we first, because it, it seemed like from the beginning, Adam, your vision for the show, because, and I think we talked, like, at least as I understand our history, is that Adam met Jeremy and the, found out Jeremy's backstory about, like, oh, it was in radio and et cetera, et cetera. And the idea kind of came up with doing a podcast and then, yeah, reached out to me and to Justin. And then, Adam, it sounds like your original idea was for the each of us come up with a pitch and then we vote on which one is the best pitch and then we go with that. But we didn't do that for quite a while. For the first several episodes, it was just kind of we all said it and then we tried to mash it into one movie or something like that, which for me, like I, I was not a fan of going away from that because I have to say every time we do one and not that I want to ch- pressure anybody but <laughs> if I if I spend time on a pitch and it's not voted for I'm like what did I spend time on this thing for, man? I'm just going to throw it away now. Why so. do you watch sports? <laughs> this is sports in podcasting form for movie fans of fake movies. Uh, that doesn't work. <laughs> but so, yeah, that was definitely a change. And then, and I do think that that is directly connected, though, to our brevity, because trying to spend the time picking and choosing and mashing and mishing, like, that does make it a little bit longer. The one that does kind of crack me up is that, Adam, you always wanted us to talk about like merchandising and the movie poster the merch- and, and the, the yeah. movie poster and <laughs> none of us could care at all but you were all like and what about the soundtrack who would you want to get on the soundtrack we're like i don't know Scout yeah that's soundtrack i guess wow. Like, let's get the same guys. Yeah, the, the original <laughs> idea was definitely that we were a movie studio and right. we were really trying to get every aspect down. This is how you make it successful. And yeah, that was overblown to the extreme. But even to the your point, Jeff, about the voting, originally we tried to mash them all together. Then we got to a point where we said, okay, now everybody, and I think it was in response to my pitches, <laughs> which was to say, everybody have a short elevator pitch. Well, and if we're interested pitch, in your yeah. elevator pitch then you get to read your whole pitch and that lasted for about 10 episodes and then we got rid of that that was was literally (laughs) just you all the rest of us all that's all we've ever written was elevator pitch right (laughs) trying to level the playing field with time on the mic yeah but i feel like uh, over the years i've managed to bring it down from like four page pitches to two at least double spaced yeah I, I feel like originally, I don't know what was going on with me, but if you listen back, like I was either taking the show too seriously or I was very tired because both the early shows are very like, I don't know, I don't know methodical is the right word, but it's just kind of like, welcome to Sequel Quest. We're doing something very important and exciting here. We're so happy, you know, like and it just it feels kind of lethargic, whereas now I feel like we always come in and we're just ready to have a good time, regardless of <laughs> The quality of the show. A little more high energy, yeah. Yeah, somehow that, that's manifested itself. Maybe it's that I don't record in a closet anymore? I don't know. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Michael from New York, regular on the podcast. Wanted to take a moment to congratulate Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy on their 100th episode of Sequel Quest. What an amazing accomplishment, guys. Congratulations. Look forward to being on again in the future. Thanks so much for everything and all the hours of enjoyment of listening as well as being a part of the show thanks again 
And so this is uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you guys about. So as you have gone through your process of sharing the show or just being on a bi-weekly podcast or however often we're able to get together, what has been the greatest takeaway for you from doing the show? What, what do you think you've enjoyed the most? Um, I mean, the one that really surprises me, which sounds rather self-defeating, but in, in a certain sense, like how doable this is now granted i am not at all on the production side you guys are the ones that are actually doing the editing and the producing and all that sort of stuff like that but if you would have told me four years well you did tell me four years ago if you would have told me (laughs) before when you did tell me before hey let's start a podcast i'm like podcast what are we like the pope like no we don't have the ability to do something like that we're not so because i mean literally i am sitting here in my i guess it's kind of my kitchen in my little office kitchen space in front of my computer with a microphone like that's all that's happening right now i'm talking to skype and we're doing a podcast and like we've done a hundred of them like it's it's really fascinating how doable this is it has given us an opportunity to not only spend some time together chatting about these various topics and stuff like that but inviting other people into the conversation you know even if nobody's listening i mean we we get a couple of uh uh, guest stars that have listened and that they want to chime in too and so it's pretty cool how this medium how approachable and doable this medium is for any listeners out there like hey maybe i want to do a podcast you can totally do it and talk about jupiter ascending that's our secret (laughs) apparently just do a jupiter ascending themed (laughs) podcast and then not talk about jupiter ascending at all that would be the way to go so we've been making quite a bit of reference to our very first episode which actually wasn't our first episode it was our pilot episode so back in 2015 when we launched the show we actually did it on back to the future day because that was the all in the news and everybody was excited so our first official episode that we released we were talking about back to the future but before that we wanted to test the format and see how it would all work and so we were talking about the goonies so we were all pitching a sequel to the goonies and i will say we called it our episode zero but there were some great ideas in there, even if mine took a long time to get through. <laughs> but I mean, Jeremy had an awesome concept, and that's really mostly what, what we ran with was his pitch. And so if you want to go back and listen to that, like Jeremy said, just speed it up a little bit and uh, enjoy. But we decided for this 100th episode that we'd like to go back and make it official. Let's do a Goonies episode where we can actually give you something now because it's crazy to think that four years ago at that time, they were talking about a Goonies sequel like it was going to happen. Like Corey Feldman and, and Sean Astin were on Twitter and going on like morning shows talking about oh yeah, the Goonies 2 is going to happen and here we are and it still has not happened. So that means that the field is still open for us to pitch and have some fun with that. But for those who don't know The Goonies, Jeff, would you care to summarize that film? Goonies 1985, directed by Richard Donner and written by Chris Columbus. Well, and Steven Spielberg, as a matter of fact. So it's a story about this group of kids that live in Astoria, Oregon, and their neighborhood is going to be purchased and bulldozed to build a country club. So all the kids get together because their group is The Goonies. And they decide to hang out for one last time. But their so-called leader, Mikey, finds this old doubloon and a treasure map in his attic. And it decides that, hey, if we could go and find this old treasure, 
then we could save the town. It starts in this old restaurant, and in the restaurant, there's this outlaw family called the Fratellis. So they get captured by the Fratellis, and then they sneak away, and the Fratellis figure out what the Goonies are up to. So they're chasing after the Goonies. The Goonies are going through all of these various booby traps and tunnels and finally get to the pirate ship that has the treasure at the end of the tunnel. But the Fratellis show up as well. There's this big conflict, and then the cave collapses, but they get nothing. But they get out with their lives. Oh, dear, it's all going downhill. And then one of them reaches into their pocket and finds out that they still had a pocket full of gems, and it's enough to save the town. Hooray, and the kids are the heroes. And then the ship sails away. (laughs) More or less... Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, and it's interesting because the Goonies really, you know, nowadays, it's so interesting because if kids were to pinpoint the 80s and a group of plucky kids, oh, what are they going to say? Stranger Things, of course. Hey, that Goonies <laughs> movie, it just ripped off Stranger Things. But they don't realize yeah. that... <laughs> the other way around. Yeah, Goonies is really the progenitor of that. They, you know, there, there were quite a few movies along those lines with groups of kids going on adventures together where adults just didn't understand. But the Goonies just seems to be something that has persisted and has been special. I guess that that's a question I would ask you guys is, do you feel like it is a movie that is respected? Is it a movie that continues to be held up as a great film? Or is it just a few nostalgic people like the circles I run in? Like, Jeremy, you especially, you grew up in the land where this actually takes place. <laughs> and true. so was The Goonies like a special movie in Oregon to people who grew up in that area? I can't speak for all of them, but I <laughs> do have some nostalgia for it. Jeff, did you watch the movie a lot? Oh, yeah. And I, I have a feeling it's one of those movies it's a similar to like Hook, for example, is that that I think is a part of because of when it came out and the age that we were at, all of us saw it and it was a part of our childhood and it was just one of those movies. But you talk to people now, you talk to teenagers now and you're like, oh, you know that movie Hook? No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I think it's that same thing with the Goonies. You know, it was it was on TV. Nobody watches TV now, but back when we used to watch TV, it would be on TV all the time. You would get to see it. It does say on the website here that 2017, it was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry at the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So hmm. it's kind of a big deal. I guess so, yeah. And it's, it's weird for me because surprisingly I did not grow up with the Goonies I did not know what the Goonies was until I was a teenager and there have been like some key people in my life who were super fans of the Goonies but like I grew up watching the Monster Squad so that was my movie about a group of kids going on an adventure together which many people have called it a ripoff of the Goonies but the same as Mac and me was my E.T. you know for some reason I always got the later versions you should be much more embarrassed about that second (laughs) (laughs) But like, for example, you talked about watching it on TV. The Goonies is literally my wife's favorite film. For someone who doesn't really watch a lot of movies or TV, she will always watch The Goonies. In fact, we still have the VHS tape. And again, she doesn't have nostalgia for those things like I do. But for that movie, we have the tape that she used to watch as a kid. She always watched the TV edit, so she didn't know about the language that's in the movie (laughs) and things like that until we got the DVD. And she was like, what? at the same 
same time too like you know i i didn't see it for the first time until a midnight screening that a friend of mine took me to when i was like 16 and that's how i saw the goonies was in a theater that was an old theater that had been built in the 70s and was around when this movie came out so i always felt that connection to it from that moment because it was just such a, a unique and fun film and i have watched it over and over again i even have, i have friends who have been to astoria to the jailhouse who have seen the there's they have a little museum set up there so that's kind of a dream of mine to to go there someday and, and check it out but i think it's interesting too when you look at the goonies and who's involved just the cast members themselves it seemed like at the time it really aside from richard donner coming off of directing superman you know and a, a lot of other films he was known for he was almost the biggest name associated with the movie aside from steven spielberg like the kids were kids but then you look at where you know a lot of them have gone on or where they were maybe Corey feldman was maybe the best known of the kid actors at that time and josh brolin is now thanos yes and cable yeah of course you have great character actors in there as well you, know, you got robert davi you got joe pantaleano but i think it's the essence of that story right it's because it's beyond just some kids are going to save the day it's got that whole feeling of a supernatural element and yet it's kind of the best parts of indiana jones right and we even have short round in the movie so for you guys is there a particular set piece in the goonies that is the exciting action moment for you or the biggest moment of humor there's something about when they're hitting all of the pipes of all of the running water and then when sloth gets there and for some reason sloth just like shoves it up through the roof that was always one that sequence in the wishing well there's something magical about that scene even in hindsight though i'm like one this is not the way that wishing wells actually work and two it's i don't it's it's definitely the way that it's done so when you're talking about set pieces and that whole thing of like no these are people's wishes man you can't take those and just the way that the music works and even when mouth is like this is my wish and it didn't come true. So I'm taking it back. That's a really powerful scene. And it's just, and then the whole thing with, what is it? Andy, you goonie, where he <laughs> lowers the bucket down. I don't know. I think that's such a great pinnacle of that movie that even though it really has nothing to do with the story itself, but it just, it capsulizes it for me. Yeah. Well, I think that is a pivotal moment because that is digging into the fact that Mikey's a little overly dramatic about things. He's, he's a very, <laughs> very committed to his ideas and he's got it he brings everybody along hmm sounds like somebody i know I don't know. For me, it's always been about Chunk. And it could be because I grew up as a fat kid. I don't know. Because he gets his own adventure, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's all the other kids are the ones who are going again with the pipes and everything else. And Chunk is the one who gets free, but then gets captured and meets up with Sloth. And then they're kind of playing catch up. You have the Fratellis chase the main group. And then you have Sloth and Chunk chasing after the Fratellis, you know? So it's like you got all these different things going on. But especially Especially when he is being interrogated and got his hand in the blender and everything and he's telling all the terrible things he's done <laughs> i mean i just feel like somebody should do those monologues in a theater festival <laughs> oh, <I'm Wow>. sure. <laughs> but what's really fun to me in recent years you know i go to this convention as often as i can called retrocon and i got my cousin's family really into it she has a 10 year old son who actually is super into collecting original he-man figures like we 
Skype all the time about his latest acquisitions. He's almost got the whole series of all the releases of action figures from He-Man. But the other movie that he loves is The Goonies. And he went two years ago as Chunk to RetroCon and entered the costume contest and he won the grand prize. But that was something extra special for me because seeing his dad dressed up as Sloth. So he had the Superman shirt and the suspenders and a Sloth mask. So, I mean, they made some great memories together, which I thought was really neat. Jeremy, for you, is there is there a special moment that sticks out or a particular character that you're most fond of? I probably related more to Mikey, just in the fact that he was kind of the leader of the ragtag group, even though I definitely wasn't. But it just, uh, he's the one that sticks out to me most. His portrayal, really. I was wondering, too, have you guys ever heard of the Goonies video game for the Nintendo? No. For the Nintendo? Yeah, so Konami released a video game, and it's called The Goonies 2. So it's very confusing, because you're like, was there a Goonies 1 video game? Well, not in America, but in Japan. They did release The Goonies. My friend got this cartridge that had, like, you know, 150 Nintendo games on it, you know, this bootleg cartridge. And I went to his house, I was like, wait, The Goonies? There's an original? I thought they made The Goonies 2, like, the video game was a sequel to the movie. Well, I mean, which it is. I mean, like, you're going in finding mermaids and it's like it's a different adventure this time around so if you ever you know people want to go on youtube and watch a playthrough video but it's just basically mikey going through a bunch of caves and you're fighting like the fratellis and i guess what i assume are extended members of their gang because there's like all these there's just adult guys that are chasing you and trying to get you and you got a, a yo-yo you're hitting them with because you know mikey and his yo-yo huh uh, yeah anyway <laughs> but I, I have it in front of me here it's it's a pretty fun little little cartridge to pick up if you're a fan but another thing i thought i'd mention because they did a little bit of promotion for this movie when it came out steven spielberg he's a big deal they did the goonies are good enough two-part music video on mtv with cindy lopper and everything and lots of wwf at the time uh, wrestlers appeared in that but there was also this very strange thing that i found in an old catalog a sears wishbook catalog back in the days before the internet you would get these five to six hundred page color catalogs you know sent to you by sears or montgomery ward or you know whoever you subscribe to jc penny and they would give it to you and you could basically go through and you could order your christmas presents through there so my friends and i would spend hours just like marking i want this i want this you know and so i was looking through one on this awesome website jason liebig is a a, a really cool dude he made this website called wishbookweb.com and he has scanned going back to the 40s thousands of pages and there's this one from 1985 and there's Goonies merchandise there's Goonies pajamas there's Goonies shirts and this one thing Goonies slippers that were feet so like they're like these big chunky feet with green fur coming off of them and I was like what is this supposed to be you know like maybe sloth but sloth doesn't have green fur I posted about it online and somebody was telling me that it had to do with the deleted scene from the book and where they got the chains for sloth that they had to get them from the zoo and all this stuff like so there, there, there's a lot of deleted scenes you know in the novelization and from the original script that didn't make it into the film the most famous probably being the octopus scene because they referenced that at the end and it's on the blu-ray release uh, and, and the dvd so you can you 
can check that out if you want to see a, a not so realistic looking octopus attack. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's just there's a lot of fun things out there uh, related to the Goonies. But I think you know the movie itself. One of the things that's mentioned, Chunk tells Mikey, Mikey, I don't want to go on another one of your Goonie adventures. So there is the reference to wow, they've been on other excursions and we don't know what they were. Like, huh. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys ever picked up on that line. Did you ever notice that? No, it wasn't really on my mind to look into world building at that time. <laughs> like, if Marvel dropped that, then yes, of course. Right. But the Goonies, really? Hmm. I don't think that's their goal, though. <laughs> it wasn't meant for world building. I mean, it's interesting because it does seem like there's a lot missing when you really pay attention because they talk about the goondocks, but it's not really ever like they don't stop and explain it to anybody. And so a lot of times I feel like there's more to it, things we could understand. And that's what makes the movie perfect for our show is to say, okay, well, what were those previous adventures or what's the next adventure? Or, you know, if you were to even reboot it, could you build on some of the lines that they draw? and the information that they did give us. So I think it's worth getting into the pitches here. So, Jeff, are you ready to kick us off? Sure. See, I have the prequel, Goonies Begins, which begins with Mr. Walsh moving his family to Astoria, Oregon, much to the chagrin of his sons, Michael and Brandon. Moving in, the first thing that happens is Michael meets his annoying, talkative neighbor, Clark, who shows him this neighborhood of the goondocks. And along the way, meets a couple of the other kids his age that live around there, Lawrence and Ricky, all of which are very unique characters and so none of them really click. They're all very different from one another. So they don't naturally get along, but they do all go to the same school. So then later school starts and there are the rich kids and then there are kids that live on the goondocks and they definitely pick on each other and one of the most likely targets is Lawrence being a little bit heavier. The rich kids all call him Chunky and they all kind of pick on him. So Michael, seeing this and being an um, upstanding sort of a guy, convinces his brother Brandon to help out this kid Lawrence. He does that. Michael and Lawrence then become fast friends and they start hanging out after school and doing stuff. And they, realizing that Oregon, lots of trees and wilderness and stuff like that, so they start exploring. And one day as they're exploring, they find this secret fort that is sealed and they can't quite figure out how to get in. And when they finally find what looks like a door, they hear a voice inside and it turns out it's that kid, Ricky. Ricky brings them in, shows them all these gadgets and secret things that he's invented inside this secret fort, which is just the coolest thing that they have ever seen. So they decide, why don't we start a hangout club where the three of us can hang out, we can come to this fort. Lawrence is bring food and Michael's going to bring like stuff to do, something like that. They each kind of have their own little role that they play. The three of them start calling themselves the Goonies. So later on, uh, as this crew is kind of becoming closer and closer, they happen to notice that annoying kid from uh, that lives next door to Michael, Clark, uh, is getting picked on by those rich kids again. So the new 
crew, the Goonies, they kind of step in. But the, the other two especially don't really want to bring Clark into their group, even though they're willing to, to save him. But of course, Clark really wants to, to hang out with them. Michael then encourages them, no, guys, we got to include everybody. That's got to be who we are. So brings in Clark, introduces them, shows their awesome hideout. Sure enough, though, the next day, they go back to their hideout, and the hideout has actually been burnt. It was burnt to a crisp, and they find out that, sure enough, Clark, being the loudmouth, had let it leak to the rich kids that this is where the thing was. The kids have come in and they took a bunch of Ricky's inventions and contraptions and then burnt down their, their fort. So Michael comes up with a plan that as a group, the Goonies need to come up with this plan to sneak into that rich kid's house and to take back all of those contraptions that Ricky made. So in order to do that, they come up with a secret plan and they decide to give each other nicknames or, or code names. So of course they come up with the code names of Chunk data mouth mikey and then they rope in michael's brother brand to be the fifth one even though he doesn't really want to be in it but they just give him a name anyway because they're going to kind of use him as part of their plan so of course the adventure takes place and you know there's madcap happenings going on as as uh, data's doing his thing and chunks being a distraction and mouth is trying to seduce someone that he's way too young for and hilarity ensues they end up succeeding getting it back but the rich kid does realize what has happened obviously and vow revenge someday someday i'll get those goonies <laughs> all right very nice goonies begin I never knew that Data's uh, name was Ricky. Richard, <laughs> yes, yep. I don't know how I've never heard that either, but that's what it said. Okay. Well, uh, I also have chosen to go with a prequel, and I decided just, you know, the way things are going these days, I would just call mine Goonies. So take off the the, suddenly it's a new film. But taking place one year before the original, we find that Mikey, Mouth, and Chunk are elementary school friends who get picked on by an older bully named Nate, who has nicknamed them the Goonies during his taunting, and that seems to have caught on among the rest of the school. They hang out at a place called the Goondocks, which is under a pier down by the beach, where Mikey's always sharing wild stories about a story's history that he's heard from his dad. Data is the new kid in town who moves next door to the Walshes and is an outcast because of his accent and becomes the subject of some racially insensitive comments by Nate and his gang of hooligans. It is the 80s after all. The new neighbors become fast friends as Mikey and his pals help teach Data English using films like E.T., Gremlins, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Aside from Chug's weight and mouth constantly doing bad impressions that annoy the bullies, Nate singles out Mikey because of his infamous great-grandfather Cornelius Walsh, who supposedly went crazy in the now condemned Walsh Mansion after an automated fish processing and canning device he invented caused an explosion at the Astoria cannery and devastated the local economy for a decade. We learn that this family shame has become an obsession for Mikey and Brand's father over the years and that they moved to Astoria in the hopes that he could clear the family name through learning the true history, so far unsuccessfully. Mikey, of course, refutes all the local folklore, stating that his great-grandfather was a brilliant man who invented 
many important things that other people took credit for, which according to Mikey's dad, caused Cornelius to hide away from the world with his greatest creation, but he died before it could be revealed. Later that day, Mikey finds Nate picking on Data and throws a bottle of apple juice on the bully's crotch that makes it look like the bully peed his pants, causing the students leaving school to laugh at him. Nate and his gang attempt to beat up the Goonies, but the fight is interrupted by teachers, and Nate says he's going to kill them all on Monday. Believing this to be their last weekend alive, Mikey ropes his friends into exploring the Walsh mansion with him to find the last invention of Cornelius. Believing that whatever it is can help them defeat Nate during their inevitable confrontation and clear his great-grandfather's name once and for all. Entering the seemingly haunted house, the Goonies are locked in by a Rube Goldberg-like security mechanism that turns on a projector which causes ghosts to appear. The trio run to different floors of the house and get separated. Meanwhile, Data manages to discover this is all just special effects, but finding himself alone goes looking for his friends. Each boy finds a different puzzle in their journey that they get locked into various rooms that they have to escape. Mouth finds a phone that keeps ringing until he picks it up and answers a riddle given by a creepy pre-recorded voice that keeps releasing gross creatures into the room each time he gets the answer wrong. Eventually, these little creatures and critters help him to solve the riddle and he is released. Chunk ends up in a hall of mirrors, but the reflections keep changing images into different people and monsters. But Chunk eventually recognizes the pattern of the images and follows them to freedom. Data falls through a trap door and ends up in a tank that is quickly filling with water. But luckily, he's wearing his floating feet sneakers that inflate and push him to the top of the tank, where he uses his magnetic might gloves to pull the tank over and spill him out. Mikey finds an automaton torso attached to a rolling cart, which he actually activates accidentally. The robot wakes up and reveals his name to be CJ, which is short for Cornelius Jr., and he speaks with a high-pitched voice that he assumes has the vocal qualities of great-grandfather Walsh. CJ asks where Papa Cornelius is, but Mikey informs the robot boy that he died a hundred years ago. Mikey asks CJ about the final invention and where it could be hidden, but the robot claims not to know due to his time of dormancy, but says if Mikey takes him along with him, maybe his memory coils will warm up. Eventually, all the boys meet up again and accidentally wake up a larger, malfunctioning robot named Gregor, who chases them through the house, with CJ revealing various trapdoors and devices that help to keep them free of the clanking aggressor's grasp. Ultimately, the Goonies have to work together to defeat the metal bully, with CJ sacrificing himself by fusing his power core to Gregor, destroying both of the robots. With their mutual destruction, the house's security measures are all deactivated, and morning light shines in through the windows. Before they leave, a phonograph recording begins playing with Cornelius explaining that a businessman had wanted to purchase the patent to his canning machine, which Cornelius refused. So the bitter buyer hired some local thugs to sabotage the device with explosives and ruin Walsh's reputation. This shame led to the inventor's wife leaving town with their only son, Mikey's paternal grandfather. So CJ the robot was his attempt to still have a relationship with his son. The recording reveals that all the evidence is in a trunk and that perhaps someday the truth can be told. The boys have learned that working together they can overcome any challenge and so when they face Nate on Monday they humiliate the bully with a group effort that finds them victorious. In the closing scenes we see a one 
one year later tag that picks up right as Mikey and the Goonies are riding down the main street of Astoria on their bikes with One-Eyed Willie's treasure map and wave to Mr. Walsh, who it is revealed is preparing to open up the Cornelius J. Walsh Museum of Invention within the now-restored Walsh Mansion with a plaque from the city of Astoria citing Cornelius as a citizen in great standing, whose clever mind brought pride to the legacy of the city and CJ, restored and attached to a speaker, is welcoming people to the museum as credits roll. Jeremy, how about you? All right. Uh, This is a sequel to The Goonies. As much as I'd love to retell my old story, I will not. (laughs) Good man. Uh, Six years after the events of The Goonies, the kids are all going down south of Astoria to Cannon Beach for a week shortly after graduation. Camped out on the beach the first night, just north of Cannon Beach proper, the gang begins telling ghost stories while sitting around the campfire. Late into the night, Mikey is awakened by some crashing in the wooded area near them on the edge of the beach of Ecola State Park. He wakes Data and Chunk, and they set off to check out what caused it. Finding nothing but tattered cloth bits on the trail, they head back to the beach. As they reach the water's edge, something huge comes screeching and howling out of the sky, grabs Chunk, and swoops back to the forest, Chunk screaming all the way. They rush back, wake the gang, and begin a multi-day search, sweeping through the forest, running into the bandaged man and Bat-Squatch. So you're saying this is not your other pitch? (laughs) No, not my other pitch, but this is two more Oregon-Washington legends. So the bandaged man, you need to tell us about this one. Explain this one quickly. (laughs) Yeah, well, the bandaged man is basically one of the loggers back in the 50s, a little before then, got hacked up in some cruel and gruesome manner. And so he's been popping up in sightings ever since uh, the early 1950s and kind of been like a mummy tale, except he likes to pick on those who are teenagers making out in their cars, uh, (laughs) eating dogs, wandering the windswept highways, even to the point of jumping in the back of pickups and sedans. Yeah. Bandage uh, man, no wonder nobody knows about you. You need to pick a thing, man. (laughs) (laughs) You you have no motif. We don't know who you are. Yeah, that's pretty great. And Batsquatch is Sasquatch with wings? Yeah, so the rumor on Batsquatch (laughs) is he first started appearing around when Mount St. Helens blew its top, and... Apparently, some people try to describe it as Batsquatch came from another dimension type deal <laughs> because Mount St. Helens blowing her top, ripped a hole in the dimension, multiverse type things. But yeah, we'll have a little bit of a teen slasher sci-fi monster movie. Wow. So where do we go from here, guys? We need to vote on these. Adam? Well, I was leading towards Jeff because it's it's a very, what I expected, you know, this is how the Goonies come together, they get to know each other, we see the formation of the group, but at the same time, I 
can't deny the bandage <laughs> man bat squatch it seems like you can really fill in some backstories there and it it gives a little bit of the horror element that was so prevalent in the goonies that i think is you know something that spielberg always excelled at which was there was like the child sweetness but then there was they were living in this world of fear and supernatural creatures or otherworldly creatures so for that reason i think i gotta vote for your sequel jeremy all right jeff where does your vote fall I, I, I can't I, I can't handle bat squatch. No, no, I can't. I'm sorry. So I would go with Adams. But I can go on and explain why, because I did enjoy Adams as well. Well what did you enjoy, Jeff? Yes. Keep your praise upon me. Yeah. It was nice that it was similar where it was also this old back story sort of thing like that, but it was different enough to be the same. To be honest, the robots were a little jarring, but you know, if I'm gonna weigh robots against Bat Squad <laughs> <laughs> Robots win. All I'm right. sorry. If it had a better name, it's the name. It's the name. Oh. <laughs> How about for you, Jeremy, which was most appealing? You know, in all our episodes, this does come down to me quite a bit. <laughs> and I do vote kind of selfishly because I know how this game is played. <laughs> I game our system. And so if I were to do that, I'd have to vote Jeff, which would cause us to have to mash all of these together. True. But, but go with your heart. Well, my heart is in Bat Squatch. Um, <laughs> So I will say, Adam, and let's build out your world. Well, that is good. You know, who's to say that, you know, Batsquatch isn't hiding in in one of the rooms? Yeah, so let's let's get into that. Jeff, you mentioned the robots. So tell me about your your concern or agree or disagree on old-timey robots. Yeah, it's hard. Can you pull off an old-timey robot? That seems like a contradiction because robots (laughs) and science fiction seem to go together, especially because these appear to be sentient robots. So they have personalities. Yeah. Well, it's this, it's a steampunk thing. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not a real thing. That's like a <laughs> That's like, I don't know if there's an episode of Futurama where they go to find Leonardo da Vinci's body. Oh, yes. And they find his robot animatronio who's made out of wood. (laughs) Yeah, I keep thinking of him. Well, let's start with that then. So if that's the case then, because I, like I say, the the reason I, I thought about adding robots into it was because it seemed like Spielberg hadn't, like, I can't think of a, a Spielberg film where he's gone into the robot realm, and it just seemed natural. He's done aliens, he's done, AI. you know, monsters, and yeah, but AI wasn't officially his concept you know he's taking over but like in his wheelhouse and so it just felt like he would eventually get to robots he hasn't yet but you know like <laughs> it just seemed, it seemed like that would be the way that it would roll but i i'm very open to changing the antagonist or the creature in the house just as long as we don't go back to oh there's some criminals hiding out there you know like we, we don't want to make it that similar but i think there needs to be an element of danger and if not horror then at least you know some spooky stuff going on for them that makes it more like a survival situation for them being trapped in the house I like the bandage man actually showing up in there because that could that could work, right, Jeff? You didn't like Bat Squatch, but bandage <laughs> man. Yeah, I mean, like, it it is. It's funny with Goonies specifically, and I feel like we dealt with this way back in the way back, too, is I feel like there's a fine line 
between just scary enough, but not too scary. Like the Fratellis really walked that line where they were as scary as I think you can possibly get. So depending on Bandage Man, now again, for one reason or another, I have Pyramid Head from Silent Hill in my head. It is terrifying. <laughs> and if that's what we're going for, that's too far. But well, I, mean, I, I somehow... was thinking of the Invisible Man, but just not invisible. <laughs> oh. Like a mummy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's just got okay. little patches where, where the bandages come off, so you see, you know, mutilated skin underneath, but just barely. So it's not, you know, too gruesome. A couple blood-soaked patches, you know, on the bandages. Well, I feel like I'm okay with it if you give me a Scooby-Doo ending then. <laughs> he's got to take it off and be like, uh, it's your brother! What's wrong? Well, I mean, and it could be, it could very well be that the reveal is almost like someone who, whatever the, the, if it's not a robot, if that wasn't his greatest creation, then it was something else, almost like the Holy Grail in The Last Crusade. So it's like the idea of, oh, somebody has had to keep watch over this thing that is, you know, has great power and they need to be careful so this is like bandage man is actually the protector he just seems to be the antagonist of the scary guy going after them initially because he's protecting something something along those lines so he is actually supernatural then no no that's what i'm saying maybe it's something that's kind of been passed down okay maybe so maybe it is another <laughs> a relative the job of bandage man all <laughs> yes. right dad i'll put on the bandages <laughs> I mean, like, he'd be a distant relative that, you know, Mikey's <laughs> dad didn't locate yet, you know? And he'd, he'd wow. Be, yeah, because know. he was covered with bandages. I didn't recognize yeah, him. Hey. <laughs> I like it. I mean, and it could be that the, the folklore surrounding the bandage man has to do with, you know, that's why it's, there's always different people that were sneaking into the house. So he had to jump into the back of their pickup, you know, while he was chasing them away or they were teenagers that were causing trouble. So he had to scare them away. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if that was the case, are you guys more leaning towards one idea or the other? Do you want him to be a protector of something? And what would that be? Or do you want him to be maybe an actual scary creature they have to beat? Hmm. I mean, my thoughts would be, one, they didn't really beat the Fratellis, did they? I mean, if best case scenario sloth they, did. They outwitted them? They fooled them type deal? Yeah, but uh, at the end, I feel like if it wasn't for sloth, they would have lost. Because the yeah, Fratellis right, had... Right. They were all walking the plank. Exactly. Yeah. And they had guns and swords and whatever. So I don't know that they have to defeat the bandage man. But at the same time, it also feels like it might not be a bad idea to do something different. You know? So it's as opposed to this is the bad guy who's chasing him the whole time and et cetera, et cetera. You have obviously a lot more things going on besides the, right. the, the bad guy. But I feel like, yeah, that switch, especially because we don't have a sloth type. Mm -hmm. Well, you kind of had the robot, right? He was kind of the, the it was on their team and sacrifices right. himself. So he was kind of the, the so, yeah. Yeah, that was the new character they were teaming up with. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it works really well if you have the bandage man popping up at different points and mm -hmm. they keep getting into their other s situations because they're running away from him. And then there is maybe not necessarily a final showdown you know what i'm saying but it's more like a confrontation where they can't get away so then what do they have to do 
either he reveals himself or they say something like that's what I was thinking that maybe like Mikey has been told these stories and there's some element of it, you know, so it's kind of a Martha moment. Mm. You know? <laughs> no, well, well, you lost me there. That, <laughs> can't say that, but no, but it's, I like that. Cause that's what I was thinking where it's part of the Goonies is that it was like a lot of tropes and cliches and kind of like all coming together. And that was the beauty of it is that it was supposed to be. Yeah, and this is a haunted house, urban legend right, kind of thing right. coming together. So that's what I was. I'm just going through all the tropey ways that characters like this are resolved. Because that's actually the thing that I I kind of like, which was the part that I I almost wish they would have figured out how to do in the original movie is that somehow Mikey or the other Goonies' compassion is what actually allows them to triumph. Mm-hmm. They didn't really do that in the first one. So somehow if... Well, Chunk's compassion for Sloth, for his Sloth, friendship that's with true, him, but not then the Sloth film. saves the day. That's yeah. true. And that's the other thing I was thinking, too, is that so Sloth was the one that they thought was the bad guy, and he turns mm-hmm. out to be the good guy instead. So it would be interesting, yeah, if there was some way of, like you said, that maybe if he learned something, but he couldn't figure it out till the end, and it was that, like, oh, I actually need to set him free or help him from this or or something like that that we're actually going to do something yeah i mean i mean and it could be set up like jeremy was saying about like the folklore of the bandage man so maybe there have been some creepy things going on around town so he's been getting out because maybe he's been holed up in there too long he's getting a little crazy and they do talk him through it they don't want to scare him anymore kind of like mikey does with one-eyed willie maybe he like starts talking to bandage man you know like i understand you i know you know like that type of weird mikey trance that he goes into where he's communicating (laughs) with the weird or the dead <laughs> and then that that it calms him down and he takes off his bandages and he's just uh, a normal old guy who was again uh, a second cousin or something but and then he takes them to open up this chamber that he you know, is always too afraid i was told never to unleash it They're like but shouldn't you know what you're protecting and then he opens it up and maybe it really is like something either funny stupid what is this an automatic potato peeler like that was his greatest invention or it was something you know that was a weapon that is like totally means nothing now you know like like it just it it actually does that yeah and but a hundred years ago it was you know monumental and you know could be a source of great destruction so he had to keep it safe and then the once bandage man knows that he can get on with his life but maybe that's how they beat the bully is the bandage man is their friend and so one last time he hops out of the bushes and scares <laughs> Nate the bully and he really pees his pants that time so oh, then wow. it's like circular to like the original you get a call back there and so then he gets some new you know Johnny pee pants or something and now the goodies gladly accept their moniker and he's ashamed of his own or something and his friend ditch him because he's a laughing stock you know something like that is there any other element you feel like is missing jeff like you said with the tropes or jeremy something you would want to add into the mix that you think this is what would make it goonies the only one that i was thinking of was less of a trope and more of a, a nitpick i guess is that if data was in a room filling with water and he had floating shoes wouldn't he flip upside down and so his shoes would go up to the surface? 
Yeah, okay. that that was not a great one. That's why I added in also like magnetic gloves that the thought was like he could like there was like a big piece of, you know, a big metal pipe and he could like he could amp up, he could like charge up his magnet gloves and then it was like basically pulling him towards the metal pipe and tips it over because that really made more sense. The floating shoes was supposed to just get him above the water in the tank to get him up to the top so he could breathe, but there was still a top on the tank. So he had to breathe break it open to actually get out was kind of the idea i kind of like too and i mean i guess that was kind of something that i had a little bit in mind is the fact that since we are in a prequel if there is some sense of them not being as good at what they do as later so like data was kind of already known for his inventions sometimes working and sometimes not and so if they even are less useful yeah, and I think that would be fun. My initial idea in my head, each kid in probably would, you know, in a fleshed out script would have a different lesson to learn about themselves. So it was kind of like, you know, mouth, maybe he mouthed off, but then he would he wouldn't help out in resolving the fight or diffusing the situation. Uh, Data, the idea was that maybe he always had ideas, but he never put them in fruition. And by going to this house and seeing how all these different gadgets worked, it really inspired him to make slightly better gadgets, you know, things like that. So it was supposed Mm, to be like, they would each learn a lesson from the experience in addition to just learning how to work as a team and and be friends and support each other Hmm. you know which maybe is like the conflict at the beginning during the bully fight is that maybe not everybody was doing their part and maybe mikey's upset about that and is hoping that they'll be on his side or be better friends or something all right and then are you guys happy with the idea of just calling it goonies you like that or do you think there's a better title there i was like i was thinking like goonies modern invention or something random you know along mm. those lines you know you don't want to go like classic horror titles like house of horror or you know mystery mansion you know like those are kind of goofy because it's a prequel so it's kind of like do you almost give it a brand new title or does it have to have goonies in the title you know it's the other goonies thing. origins that's always you know <laughs> colon mikey or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about Goonies Origins, because that just gives me flashbacks to <laughs> X-Men that, Origins. That was Wolverine. my joke, yeah. Yeah, it didn't seem to land as I had hoped. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I didn't make the connection. Good job, <laughs> the, Jeff. The Goondocks? That's a or... good job. The Goondocks. Ooh, Goondocks. Which is actually what it's called, so... Goondocks is kind of a cool idea, because, yeah, it's like for people in the know... They know what it's about. Now, it doesn't tie in 100%, but I think if we focused more on that, the inciting incident that made Cornelius infamous and hated was taking place essentially on the docks at a cannery, you know, on the fishing side of things, and that that's where their clubhouse is, then I think that does work. Because then it's like, oh, they go to the goondocks and we'll have a core scene there then. Well, but they live in the goondocks. That's the name of their neighborhood. Right. But that's what I was saying. Like, maybe we could we could add a little bit more to the mythology oh, and make okay. it a specific place that sort of ties into the backstory there or something. Because you're, you're right. You know, they call their whole neighborhood the goondocks. I think even if it doesn't tie in, it just sounds good. Mm. So I think we go with that. Good one, Jeremy. <laughs> Looks good on a poster. It does. <laughs> 
All right. Well, this is episode 100. More adventure to come. I mean, if we haven't given up at this point, <laughs> the adventure will continue in the world of Sequel Quest. But all the more so, we want you, if you're listening, if you are finding the show for the first time, if it's been recommended, or if we just happen to cover one of your favorite films, if there's more on your mind that you would like us to discuss, shoot us an email, find us on social media, Offer your own voice and opinions and ideas and come and join us because the more the merrier with Sequel Quest. I mean, this is a, a, a journey we can all go on together. We don't just want to be talking at you. We want to be talking with you. But Jeff and Jeremy, any parting thoughts as you reflect on episode 100 and things you hope for the future of the show? Movies made in the last 15 years. That's my hope. <laughs> That's my hope. We're working on it. I mean, we've done it. We did our Oscars episode. We tried the most current of films and we pitched our our sequels. That <laughs> it was wasn't made by one. Marvel. Shocking. Yes. Shocking. <laughs> How about for you, Jeremy? You have some ambitious ideas you want to throw down and see if we could fulfill them in the next hundred? John Carter. Yes, Ooh, done. Oh, yeah. Just watched Definitely. it on Netflix. It's new to Netflix. Is it on Netflix? So, Get yeah. out. Well, all right. <laughs> For as long as they have it, that's crazy if they just dropped it. Disney Plus is coming around. So well, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think they had to throw Netflix a bone or two, so... <laughs> It's been on my mind for a while. I think that's one that could use a redemption through a sequel. So look for that. Speaking of Netflix, one show that we do have on the schedule coming up soon is Bird Box. Yes, we're going to be doing a sequel to that Netflix original film. A little bit intense, a little bit depressing. But what is it these days? Watch the news. It will take you back into the world and maybe even do a prequel. Who knows? We got options. We can explain what we think is going on there in greater detail. Maybe spoil something. Who knows? So keep an eye out for that. Also, immediately following up here, the spoiler ban has been lifted by the Russos, by Marvel Studios. We will be releasing our Avengers Endgame sequel chat. So you'll finally get to hear our opinions on that as Colton, Jeremy, and I discuss what we thought. You already heard Jeff's opinion. (laughs) So uh, take, take for that what you will. But Thank you again so much, everybody who's been a part of the Sequel Quest legacy and history. We appreciate you, and we look forward to having you back on for more fun. So until next time... Sequel Quest, this is Mike Westfall coming at you live from my custom DeLorean modified to travel to every alternate timeline in which every sequel you guys have ever pitched exists. I just wanted to say thank you for 100 amazing episodes. It's been a heck of a trip actually watching all of them. Wish you could have joined me. And, well, I guess I do have all the time in the world to take you with me, so I'll be right there. Don't move. See you in the future. We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or askupod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.